0: welcome to the quarter to three movie podcast for our favorite movies of 2018 my name is tom chick and i brought along christian marsopski i would like to be known as chainsaw is that i forgot what that's from i think i don't don't summer i don't think it's what i think it's from all right let's we also have with maybe a, a reference to a 2018 movie kelly wand
1: the first man doesn't crack everyone's top three, you assholes. I'm writing a strongly worded letter to the ASRB.
2: <laughs>
1: Best score,
2: suck it, boy. Fuck you.
0: Uh, well, what we've done is we're going to use math. We've, we we uh, every year uh, make Tom make... Well. Uh, No, I won't. We've actually turned the math over to a spreadsheet provided by one of our listeners named uh, Nick Dingle, who's very kindly set this up to, I think, be idiot-proof. It worked more or less last year without breaking anything. Uh, We're trying that again this year.
1: We're
0: going to try that again this year. We haven't seen each other's lists. What happens is... The first place pick for each of us gets ten points. The second place, nine points, and so on. So the list is going to reveal, in order of points earned from least to most, what movies we've chosen. What's the winner, uh, winner
2: get
1: winning this? The
0: winner, the winner gets uh, – they get their picture on the front page quarter to three post for this podcast, Kelly Wand. It's a huge honor. Oh, yeah.
1: Which you never do with the other movies. What do
0: you mean I never well, – well, they don't – I mean it will get it twice because I – well, the, have we done well, – I mean pod- other
1: podcasts. Sorry. I, was being, I wasn't being I clear. see. I see. That's confusing to me. Okay. Hey, well,
0: let's get on with the math. So we're also uh, doing uh, – we'll, we'll have some little additional awards at the end after we do our top ten. But first, let's just get into our favorites. I'm going to press a button now, which I think Uh-oh. is going to show the movie that got the fewest points. Here we go. Stand by. Uh what? Which one of you jokers picked Roma? Dingus. Dingus, you saw Roma? A three and a half hour black and white Italian movie directed by the director of gravity that probably has no spaceships in it whatsoever.
3: Ugh. Oh no, I wanna see it. Thanks. It's a two hour and fifteen minute movie actually, and it does have it, it is it does have a, a scene in space, I will tell you.
0: Ooh. Suck it stars born. <laughs> oh, guys. So Dingus, you saw this cuz I just cannot get my butt out of a chair to watch. that. I mean, it just seems like I, I told my friend the other night, it seems like a vegetables movie, like you have to eat your vegetables.
3: <laughs> it does seem like a broccoli movie, but it's Alfonso Cuarón. How
1: can you not watch it?
0: Well, it's I coming mean, of age. It's like I don't know. It's cuz it's so not about of... It's not about spaceships or Harry Potter.
1: It's black and white.
0: Yeah, it's black
3: and white. And subtitles. Subtitles, yeah. and three yeah. and a half hours long. It is not three and a half hours long. Do not – anyone? <laughs> I, okay, first of all, we're not <laughs> going to do any spoilers during this, so don't worry. Oh, yeah, yeah. I forgot uh,
0: to uh, mention that up front. Right.
3: This, yourself. This
0: podcast is for people who haven't necessarily seen these movies, which is rare for us. Normally, we talk as, uh, as if you've seen the movie. We're going to try to be very careful and assume that you haven't seen the movies we're talking about. So so go ahead. Well, sorry Digus.
1: about saying it's take shelter at the end. It's a cookbook. Right uh right. diggis
0: you're saying that roma is actually only three three hours and 15 minutes not three and a half hours long
3: that's what i'm saying it's okay. actually three <laughs> hours and 15 minutes minus an hour because they did the actual editing in this movie <laughs> um i'm not going to tell you that it doesn't feel like three hours because uh um, i know right kelly wand <laughs> no one's ever said
1: that <laughs> that excitedly before their lives. <laughs>
3: <laughs> like about something they liked. Something. So anyway, I, I usually I usually say something that I think um, uh, is just a great quote from the movie. Oh, right. and And uh, and something that I think is is and sometimes I in some years I've just done like a best miscellaneous thingy for the whole year. But I'm, I did one for every movie this year. Uh, just a, just something that I thought was just really quirky and and something that just caught my eye. For each of these movies that I've selected for my top 10 list. So for Roma, uh, the quote is actually a little bit of dialogue and it's can't talk. I'm dead. Then resurrect. And um, if this is as with last year, my, my last year's number 10 movie was a movie called uh, your name. And um, th- this is not, this is not on the same plane as that movie in fact which I mean, by the way
0: dingus real, real quick another movie that kelly wand and i have never seen you keep picking things
3: that we haven't seen i like yeah, that, well cuz you won't see cartoons or black and white movies or things with subtitles or grandpa movies or anything <laughs> like that or timothy chalamet movies i
0: just i, I, I have a hard time yeah. doing it yeah, yeah
1: you, but you, if you, it's you, got like blood in the title he will watch it <laughs> Yeah, if it had and been called blood, how Roma, stupid it is.
0: If it had been called like blood Roma or Roma horror or something like that, Roma frenzy, I would
3: have seen that. Roma crimes is in it. Yeah,
1: uh, but we all would.
3: Uh, so my my best miscellaneous thing, or my best, my my favorite image from this movie is is this uh, scene with uh, I'm just going to say curtain rod martial arts. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, all right. Uh, Art. So as with last year, I, I went with a movie that is just—I uh, don't know how to put it—it's just, it's just gorgeous, um, and it's not just because it's black and white and I'm a snob. Uh, It's—he um, just feels it. I—I I am just a sucker for a movie that. Fills every frame with so much unbelievable amounts of information, and everything belongs there. It's not cluttered. It's it's this feeling of how did he, how did he do this? How did he make this this period piece work? How did they film this? And this oh my is god, like, it's a period piece! Oh, dingus,
0: you're killing me! It's yeah, a I know. two what and a half period? hour, or two hour, fifteen minute foreign language coming of age period piece. What yeah, period? It's like at
3: a least 1950s. Fellini movie. It is 1971, I think. Okay, uh, that I'm okay with. All right. In in Mexico. Uh, one of two movies that have uh, scenes in Mexico that I saw this year. is
1: always the same period. I thing is, you,
3: you only saw two movies this year with scenes in Mexico, really? I think. I mean, <laughs> the, I think the other one was the Sicario movie. <laughs> ha, ha you saw Sicario so too. I... Utterly disappointing to me. Really?
1: Uh, uh, I was looking forward to it until everyone said don't see it.
3: Like, yeah. There's no need to, Um, but it, it just, it, it, I didn't know this going in, uh, but it's, it's an extremely personal movie for Alfonso Cuaron and it's, it's a Netflix movie. um, So it, it makes sense that he was able to get it financed in that way because Netflix is taking chances that studios don't necessarily take, I think in some ways, Um, aside from, aside from people like a 24. Uh, but, um, he, hes really, he really, I I don't know how he did it. Uh, I honestly don't know how he did it. I don't know, uh, how you get all, I mean, I love, I love the fact that, that we see so many movies and I've seen so many movies for so many years and I still don't know simple things like, how the hell did they get all of those cars onto that street? <laughs> all of those cars from 1971 <laughs> in Mexico city onto that street and all of those magazines that are in just the right place and all of those costumes in just the right place and all of those people. And, and he gets so much in every image. Uh, and from the beginning, he takes so much time to get where he's going and the movie has such a great build-up to its intensity. Um, that I just fell for it. I I was a little impatient at first. I'm not going to lie to you. Uh-oh. That's why it's number ten. Uh, but it it gets <laughs> going in this amazing way, um, and it goes to a place that is almost overwhelming. But it 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 doesn't. I I, I can't tell you where it goes. Uh, right. I I just have to tell you that it 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 really it really and it just it knocked my socks off. So yeah, Roma.
0: All right, Kelly Wand, I guess we have to see Roma. You you go first and uh,
1: let me know what you think, okay? I'll watch it. I don't have anything better. But I was going to say, while Dingus was talking, I had a cool idea, which is if you're going to shoot a period piece, you just shoot it now. Wait for years (laughs) before you release it. And you save all the money on those cars.
0: Or, Kelly Wand, you just wait and watch it. For 30 years like like j- take a it's movie not this that now long.
1: it's only three hours
0: just take a movie now don't watch it for another 30 years and then when you watch it it'll be a period piece like don't watch black panther yeah, yeah, until yeah. until like like 2040, and then black panther will be a cool period piece See? yeah yeah that's my like birth of a
1: nation is a period piece now
0: that's... next we have wow. here we go dingus also <laughs> saw green book
3: <laughs> ah! <laughs> to seen, we got
0: diggers to see all the boring movies, so we didn't have to. Yeah. <laughs> so they could clutter so up the
1: bottom five.
0: So Green Book, I understand, is a two and a half hour movie about two oh. dudes driving around in a car. Yeah.
3: Huh. It's two hours and ten minutes, actually.
1: Ugh! <laughs> Talk about this or. <laughs>
3: Thing is, how a does cool it? Idea for a video game? Is
1: that on the podcast? <laughs>
0: you
2: play did... someone
1: being driven. Okay, what? right.
0: That was before we started recording. Dingus, how does yeah. it compare right. to Let's Be Cops? Uh, it's
3: essentially the same thing, <laughs> but with in. <Ronan. laughs>
1: That's Tom's analogy.
3: <laughs> yes, it's basically the same thing. It's like becoming a police officer when you
1: drive someone. Tom's. Uh, I agree with Tom. Yes, <laughs> this is good this, at it. Fine clothes so
3: okay uh the the quote i would put from green book uh and i can't tell you guys how surprised <laughs> i am that this wound up on my list because i was dragging my feet to watch this thing i did not want to see it i lobbied against us doing it for the podcast because it did look like driving mr daisy um and it's not something i i really wanted to see i just thought it was going to be uh schmaltzy which it basically is schmaltzy i mean it's Uh-oh. a fairly i mean it's a i think it's peter Farrelly who directed it yes yeah, nor
1: oh um, Farrelly schmaltz is the worst but, uh, <laughs> so anyway,
3: anyway the, oh, the, the quote i would uh put from it is uh tony can we have some quiet time and then there's this great <laughs> little moment where uh, a character is standing up cigarette butts and that's my best little like image from the movie
1: that's kind of interesting so
3: um uh, but the the thing that is really wonderful about this movie and what really makes it work is the chemistry the the uh, the surprising beautiful chemistry between uh, Mahershala Ali and uh, Viggo Mortensen <laughs> they are amazing together they they just have this they just have this great uh, sense of uh of of a growing um relationship uh you don't know which way it's going to go um and you you feel manipulated i mean you definitely feel manipulated by this movie and i was uh i was nervous about that i that's one of the reasons i didn't want to see it but uh in the end i was i was just okay with it i i was just swept along with it It, it's it's a weird thing i i should have resisted it probably i should probably put something that's more important and of greater weight on my list but um but i just i really love the way this movie works because of the chemistry between these two characters and the way both both uh, both of these actors play these parts uh the way um the way it it kind of uh geez it's this weird uh, amalgam of um uh, planes, trains and automobiles and I midnight mean, run almost. <laughs> <laughs> I, I believe know. it. With with this huge heart to it as well. Uh <sighs> um I know. Uh 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 but I was. Just... I have a theory that you like these movies because you sat through them
1: and you want to punish us. <laughs> uh,
3: that well, I want to get credit
1: for seeing it. I'm going to talk about it.
3: But, but also I've said it a, a, a thousand times on this podcast that um, that I'm a very easy laugh and I'm also a very easy cry. And uh, scare. You're easy. I think yeah, that's I'm, the common thread. I'm, I'm basically, <laughs> I'm I'm easy. I think you're right, Kelly. I'm basically just easy. That's your um, virtue
1: and your curse.
3: Uh I man. I cry like I I mean I, I it's it, apparently I'm not a man. I I cry I cried it a lot of things that i saw this year for various reasons um and that's okay with me i i mean that doesn't bother me at all uh it it, it kind of weirds out my girlfriend she has to like run and find a kleenex she's like all right are you crying again come on because um, that, that put thing, me in a bitch yeah she, and then she smacks me um but uh, but I just I, I love the way these two the, these two actors uh, play the layers of these characters um, in in surprising ways. I mean, one of them one of them has all of these he's he's powerful and he's vulnerable and he's and he's got this weird calmness. And the other one is is violent, but also uh, restrained and It's just a weary restraint, which is something I don't think I've seen before. This character with this weird appetite and this simultaneous relaxation uh, while he's got this like voraciousness about him. Um, The two of them just work really well together. Uh, There's a there's a lot of stuff that you're going to expect to see, but I think it's really put together well. Uh, So anyway, Green Book. All right, next we
0: have Kelly Wan's number nine pick. Kelly Wan, I'm glad someone picked this. Upgrade. Kelly Wan, why is Upgrade the ninth best movie of 2018?
1: I thought it had my favorite ending of the year. Mm. And also, uh, I was never bored during Upgrade. Like, it's really efficient storytelling. And uh, sometimes Dingus wins me over and... Why he thinks the movie's dumb, but this time he didn't. So I was really excited about that. I mean, we he held
0: out before. against him, Kelly Wand. It was a pitched yeah, battle. he doesn't have it.
1: Yeah, yeah, he didn't get me. Like Kiernan did with Iron Man 3, <laughs> that little bastard, tall bastard. <laughs> <laughs> there, uh, Kier, so don't let Kieran watch Upgrade because you might ruin it for
0: Kelly me. Kelly had you seen, I forget, had you seen the trailers for Upgrade when you watched it? Yeah, and it, looked, okay. and it showed the okay. fight
1: scene. go,
0: oh, it's that kind of a movie. Because part of what I treasure, but I didn't make my list, there were 10 things I liked better, but what I treasured about Upgrade was discovering it without knowing the premise and without having seen the trailer. Uh, And I think that's a real delight, is going into Upgrade not knowing the stuff that the trailer tells you. Because that would be one of my favorite, you know, we'll talk about some of our favorite little miscellaneous moments or touches. And one of my favorite would be, when the premise of Upgrade emerges and that first fight scene happens, I was just so delighted at that moment in that movie.
1: Yeah, it was pretty awesome. And that guy's acting's good because he's not a funny character. Right. So for him to be doing it was an interesting choice. And he's someone I'd never seen before, and I always kind of like that. I like seeing new people that are really good. The actor?
0: Yeah. All right, I'm going to test you, Kelly Wand. He's got three words for his name. What are they, and in what order? Go.
1: Uh, Mary Marcy John Carol Lynch (laughs) Jingleheimer I finally I I finally figured an idiot.
0: I finally, figured out a mnemonic device to remember Logan Marshall Green's name because I kept calling him Marshall Green Logan or Marshall Logan Green. Uh, he plays where I think I first I'd seen him before, he looks like Tom Hardy. Where I, he first stood out for me, and I was like, wow, that guy's really good, is in a movie called Sandcastle, which is about oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I and he, he plays the uh, squad, I guess, the sergeant or whatever, he's the sort of the uh, He's not the enlisted guy, but he's the – I don't know. I think he might be a lieutenant. But uh, he's this uh, world-weary commander who uh, he's just – he's got a smallish part, but he stands out in Sandcastle. So my mnemonic device is he has the same initials as what someone in Sandcastle might carry, which is LMG or light machine gun. Logan Marshall Green. Boom. <laughs> so there you go, Kelly Wand. You're welcome. So you have to remember
1: what they would carry. For your mnemonic device. I
0: just think of his part in Sandcastle. And I'm like, oh yeah, he'd carry a light machine gun. LMG, Logan Marshall Green.
1: Yeah. Huh. That's pretty smart. And also the hyphen's in the same spot.
0: Now that I don't have a mnemonic device for. So yeah, you'll have to remember that.
1: Light machine gun. All right, Logan Upgrade. Marshall Green. Uh, See, let's think. The, well, like, the trailer to me made me think of the certain kind of movie. And then it turned out to be not what I expected. So that... Sometimes the trailer – it's rare. Usually the trailer right. ruins everything. Right.
0: Like, yeah. But okay, Ding, what? Dingus, if we watch Roma in Green Book, will you rewatch Upgrade two more times? Yes.
1: Maybe <laughs> wow. his opinion of it will Upgrade. That! Very good, Kelly. So, All right,
3: yeah, right next I we have – I don't I'm ever going to be able to, just, to 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 justify the way those bodies – the way his body moves. though.
1: See? Remember that? That's his beef with it. So next He's we like, have. That's not how a computer works. Okay, go on. Uh, <laughs> Kelly Wan's
0: number ten pick is also my number nine pick. Kelly Wan, you finally saw. Sorry to bother you.
1: Yeah, great. Thanks. I'm totally super grateful to you for uh, turning me on
0: to. I it. think it's a Kelly Wand movie. Yeah. All right. So what it's did totally you Kelly tell Wand. me about what
1: what made it uh, one
0: of your favorite movies this year? What'd you like about it?
1: Uh, I liked its message. I really liked the girlfriend character. Um, and so, I like
0: the main guy. Yeah. Do I know so, her? Tessa Thompson? Good lord. Yeah, she was in a, a Thor Ragnarok. She was that awesome Valkyrie chick right. in Thor Ragnarok. She's also in Westworld. They're making her like the corporate baddie in Westworld. She was a, gave up on Westworld. She was Michael B. Jordan's girlfriend in Creed. That's where I first saw her. But oh. um, my, my analogy for why I like Sorry to Bother You, because it's, it's a guy named Boots Riley who was a, an activist for a long time rather than a filmmaker. And he brings that activist sensibility yeah, rather yeah, than like a filmmaker that. sensibility. Jonathan Swift. Yeah, yeah, very good, Kelly Wan. It's social satire. He's got – yeah, exactly. Uh, He's got sort of unique insight. No, Kelly Wan – No one's (laughs) going to know what that means. I know, but when someone – I don't want to say, but someone – I hadn't seen the movie. And when someone – I think it's our friend uh, Steiner was asking me, have you seen that movie? And he described Uh, something vague. And I was like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And then he described something else vague. And I was like, I still don't know what you're talking about. What is it called? And he couldn't think of the name. And then he described what you just said, Kelly Wan, but in specific detail and I still had no idea what he's talking about and he immediately was like, oops, I probably shouldn't have said that. So, the, the, here's the deal. <laughs> I remember that moment. That was yeah. awesome. <laughs> and and I, I hope you don't remember specifically what he said, Dingus, because it really does undercut a, a pretty awesome bit of the movie. Yeah. But here here's what I would describe about Sorry to Bother You, uh, and it relates to Tessa Thompson's character. Um, She uh starts out uh, with these really big, funky earrings that say something right. like, murder, 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 or kill, kill, kill. And, uh, Sorry to Bother You is very much a social satire that's set in a kind of an exaggerated version of Oakland. Uh, And as the movie goes on, it gets increasingly exaggerated and the satire gets increasingly outlandish. like Tessa Thompson's earrings get weirder and weirder and eventually escalate to this utterly outrageous ridiculous performance art sequence Yeah, love and that part. the movie progresses like that it's like, it's like easing you into the outrageousness of its social satire the way that you would put a lobster in a pot of cold water and then turn on the heat <laughs> uh, so it yeah. gradually gets to the point where it's like of Brazil-like proportions in terms of how it's social satire uh, and, and part of what makes it work, just like Jonathan Price drives Brazil as the normal guy and everything's crazy happening around him, Lakeith Stanfield is so good and Sorry to Bother You as an everyman. Yeah, uh,
2: yeah. He's, yeah. That That's guy's...
1: something – Go ahead. Uh, like at the beginning, it's this is something maybe I would ding the movie for actually is in the first scene, he's trying to get a job and it's like – in that scene, he's set up as a huge liar <laughs> and his friend is set up as a huge idiot. And neither of those are true for the rest of the movie. Like the girlfriend's, like, yeah, you're real vanity. Like it's about him and his identity crisis.
0: See, you say that Kelly One, but he immediately, as soon as Robert Longstreet calls him on the lie, he immediately drops it and confesses. It's something sure. that it's something that I think his friend put up, put him up to. And the moment a hole got popped in it, he he immediately backed off on it. Uh, right,
1: but the friend's he, he supposed to be an idiot in that part. Like, right. Yeah, man. And then throughout <laughs> the movie, the best scene to me, and it kind of reminded me of the bridesmaids. Scene between Rose Byrne and Kristen Wiig, where they're kind of one up at each other, is the part where they're kind of arguing and fighting. Do you remember that part? Yeah, yeah, it's absolutely. Like, I'll bring you. Oh, you're to I have a great year. Oh yeah, I'm gonna take you to a bar by two. Make it three beers. Like that goes on. I yeah,
0: like yeah, that shit. Right. No, that that's, and it and and sequences like that. Kelly wand are just great
1: writing. Yeah, I think or of, great improv- improvisation. No, 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 that's writing. Right. Right. I can't imagine. Right.
0: I mean, there might have been some improv, but that whole bit. Because their uh,
1: delivery is kind of weird. Like, you might be right kinda, about that,
0: but, but you know Boots Riley like wrote that for them to do. They might have run with it, but that whole concept of how these friends behave in that argument uh, is clearly something that Boots Riley set a template for and was like, if, if he didn't give them direct dialogue, he was like, okay, you guys escalate it this way. Uh, right. So even if the he didn't do The rest of the movie's not like that. Right. The rest right. of
1: the movie, there's not a lot of like, spark-esque. So. ask…
0: So uh I would I would so Dingus uh, was doing specific lines from uh from movies. Here's the line I would do from uh Sorry to Bother You. It's not really a white voice. It's what they wish they sounded like. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> and, and that's Danny Glover explaining to Lakeith Stan, Stanfield how to talk on the phone uh right. when he's being in telemarketing. And and even though that like part of the beauty of Sorry to Bother You, which also applies to another movie we're going we're going to talk about, uh it is very much informed by the race of its characters, but it's not specifically about race so much as it's about um, being out of place and being exploited by uh, by, by corporate culture, being
3: marginalized. Uh, I think that there's a huge race race component. Well, he, but he's he's he, the the uh, what's great about it is that it's the the older character telling the y- younger character this and the younger character's like what i don't say I, I i've been told i sound white all the time oh dingus like, saw no. it yeah he's oh like, fine. okay he's like no no it's uh it's the way you feel you know it's 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 something else it's it's how you portray it it's like you got your bills paid you know it's different yeah i love danny glover in that. you're
0: relaxed So I I guess the way I'd put it, Kelly Wan, is it's about race but not – in a very inclusive way, not in a way that – not in a way like a Tyler Perry movie where I'm watching it and I feel like it's an alien sense of humor and I don't really get what's going on. Uh, I I think it's – the the character's dilemma in Sorry to Bother You, feeling out of place, feeling excluded, not understanding why certain things are happening, I, I think is eminently relatable. And there's something very sure. universal, even that's, though it's a, about a black character. There's something very universal about his dilemma and uh, the way he feels about things.
1: Oh, yeah. But there's also the activist thing. Like it, something to me that's creepy about football is the idea – and I think someone said this. It got in trouble for it, but like that they used to breed slaves for strength, and if they read, they shot them in the in the 19th century. And so the NFL just reminds me of that. Like, yeah, we're breeding these giant men to fight each
3: other for entertainment. Well, Well, certainly, Jimmy the Greek got fired for saying something similar to that. Basically, yeah, but if that's true, like it's depressing. (laughs)
0: And it's certainly something that the movie's aware of, too, is that specific comment. Yeah, yeah. So. uh, All right. So sorry to bother you. Kelly Wan's number 10 pick. I have to bring it down. (laughs) uh, My uh, number nine pick. We've got also some great Army Hammer in that movie. Yeah, he's amazing. Uh,
1: He's always good. He's always on my top 10 list. Oddly. Number
0: seven. Kelly Wan's number seven pick is Widows. Kelly Wan, why did you
1: like Widows so much? All right. I only just wrote little notes next to each of these because I don't mm-hmm. really know what to say. That's why I dread these every year. <laughs> so, side widows, I just wrote "Oceans Eight Wishes." Like yep, <laughs> yep. That yep. Oceans Eight is trying to give you. Well, then I recommend it to my mom. Hardly, mom, you're gonna love it. And I, she saw it, and then she came back, and she's like, "Well, it was more dramatic than I thought it was gonna be. I thought it was gonna be more whimsical and light." <laughs> I really widows a movie called widows you thought with for that poster but
3: um... i was really cl- close on widows actually i mean it's, it's so good of,
1: it's and it was really my,
3: unexpected it's one of my it's, it's on my like next like eight or ten uh i really i was it was unexpected for me too yeah widows was great yeah,
1: yeah. uh all right next we have yeah i don't have a lot to say about it it's just well made <laughs>
0: So Kelly Wan, I'm going to say a line, and I want you in a Ben Foster voice to say the words. Are you ready for this? You might have to write this. After I say the line, I'm going to ask you a question, and then I want you as Ben Foster to say these words. It should cook a mushroom. Okay, are you ready? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Will it cook a mushroom?
1: It should cook a mushroom. <laughs> <laughs>
0: This is one oh, of the this is
1: one sure. of the He's first like signing his name. <laughs> every
0: uh, this is one of the first exchanges in what is my tenth favorite movie of the year and Dingus' seventh favorite movie of the year, Leave No Trace. So I first and Dingus I want you to talk a little bit specifically about the movie, but I want to talk about uh, uh, something that made me really angry related to this movie. Uh, there, there's a uh, Leonard Maltin does these, this goofy podcast every now and then. And he went on a podcast that I listened to once. And the, the, the podcaster asked him rightly, because he's Leonard Maltin, he sees a lot of movies. What have you seen li- lately that you like? And Leonard Maltin says, oh, I just saw this great movie with Ben Foster called Leave No Trace. And the young woman in it, she was remarkable. She was amazing. And the, the host is like, oh, what was her name? And Leonard Maltin was like, well, I don't remember. What drives well. me crazy about that is Leonard Maltin, as a film critic, if you go see Leave No Trace and you want to, to – tell people about this movie and appreciate it and evangelize for it, you should remember the name Thomason Harcourt McKenzie. How
3: do you not remember Thomason? I mean, her name is Tom in the movie. Come on. Yeah, she's and she's just uh, – an And that's amazing. the only
0: note he
1: has for it, and he didn't write down the name. But, all right, go on. <laughs> but Bad she, note-taking, I would say. Yeah,
0: she, so she's – she's a, 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 that that's part of what's really special about this movie. It's the first I've seen her, and I'm looking forward to seeing more of her. So Dingus, thing is, why was this your seventh favorite movie of 2018?
1: Um, Wish I'd known about this, you fuckers Go on. Uh, You
0: did, so it's Deborah Granick's. It's you the didn't chick that me. did uh, I'm did sure you? I've mentioned it, it's the woman that did Winter's
3: Bone uh, And this is what she's done most recently uh, <sighs> uh, what, what I loved about it is, is that Even when I found out what the movie was I mean, at the beginning I thought it was something else I don't want to give it too much away Because I like the way the movie Opens up uh but even it's, when i found great. out what it was i didn't believe it was that even for the whole movie i kept thinking it was something else i kept thinking it was like uh, i don't know zephyr zachariah or something uh and it wasn't that it was it was it was gr- it was grounded and it was definitely uh Deborah granick who, who I love um, it has, uh, this, this just real feeling to it. Uh, I'll talk a bit about it more later when I get to another movie that I, that I'm going to talk about, or maybe two other movies that I'm going to talk about. Um, but I, I mean, I, I, the reason that it's it's uh it's uh, wh- where did you have it, Tom? It's it's ten for you. Yeah, yeah, my tenth favorite of the year. Yep. All right, so it's it's seven for me. It I think it would have been higher if I I think if Ben Foster's character hadn't been so one notey. Um, uh, what but... the fuck are you? <laughs>
1: Talking about dingus.
3: I can't wait for Ben Foster and Ryan Gosling to be in a space movie together. I'm just, oh, please, please. Um, So, but Thomas and Mackenzie is she's so captivating. She's, she's just, she's got so much feeling to her, and she reminds me of, of two people. She reminds me of a very good friend that that we have and she also reminds me in my favorite moment this bee trust lesson with this old woman uh where she looks like almost behind this uh the beekeeper outfit almost like uh, nicole kidman um uh she's just got this great sense about her and she doesn't have to do anything she does not have to do a thing all she has to do is look around um and so uh, my my movie gag this week comes from this that they, that the dude she meets and i calls a, a rabbit chainsaw. So anyway.
0: So Dingus, you say it feels like Deborah uh, Granick, but my feeling was it felt more to me like a Kelly Reichart movie than a Deborah Granick movie. Oh. In that it, it, Deborah Granick and and I don't recall this in Winter's Bone, maybe in the Down to the Bone that Vera Farmiga addiction movie. I don't recall it there either. But a lot of what happens in Leave No Trace is Deborah Granick just giving Thomason Harcourt McKenzie and Ben Foster uh, room to, to breathe and just shooting footage of them being together. Uh, and, and it's not a dialogue heavy movie um and the most pivotal scene between them which i guess the finale there's no dialogue it's all the looks between the two actors and it's remarkable she just she she affords them so much room in a way that winter's bone and down to the bone didn't really need because those were very heavily script driven movies this right. is a very much a like a kelly reichert let's just watch the characters interact and there's a lot of negative space not in the sense of Bad space, but in the sense of kind of emptiness, where the actors can occupy that emptiness with with looks between each other and with comments and with just just being. And there are lots of scenes with no dialogue where they're just doing stuff.
3: Um, and you know, you know, I, I was thinking of Kelly Reichert throughout this movie. So it's partly because I think it's, I was conflating it. I I mean I think this is Winnie and Lucy oh. with
0: a human. Well and and it, it I had some of the same issues with it just emotionally that I did with Wendy and Lucy. Uh so th- a lot of this movie is about kids, uh, parents taking care of kids and kids taking care of parents and yeah. the bilateral direction of that relationship. Yeah, and this yeah, yeah. movie this movie explores that between two people trying to live off of the grid. Um, one of the, well, I don't, but so, uh, I, uh, it's so for, for me, it just felt like a very, uh, it, it wasn't super dependent on the script and was instead super dependent on Ben Foster and and Harcourt McKenzie. And, uh, you know, so Dingus, and I don't disagree with this, you said that Ben Foster is one nodey, but what I feel, and you're right, because his character, uh, is very quiet and reserved, is very buttoned up, um, and, And so, therefore, she has to do a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of being communicative Uh, and in terms of, you know, we're basically seeing the world through her eyes. Like, she's doing most of the expression in the movie. Uh, And I I feel that that it's just a remarkable achievement on on the part of this young woman who is a very new young actress. Uh, Dingus, did you know that she's well? she's from New Zealand?
3: No way. If Are you, you listen to her,
0: yeah, no, you listen to her in interviews, and she's like, and then all me and Ben Foster, we did this movie with Deborah Granick. Like, she's—I t- mean, that's my New Zealand accent, but she's she had like Peter Jackson talking. It's it's insane. The New Zealanders and Australians coming over here and taking our jobs from American actors. It's horrible.
3: We need she's to build a wall or get she's, better actors. <laughs> she's just wonderful, and she—I mean, it, 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 I don't know. The the reason I say Winody is that. I don't think she's, she's doing any more, and I think Ben Foster's awesome uh, in almost everything I've ever seen him in, and he's great in this. But she doesn't have to do anything. She just well, has to sit right. there and look around and feel things, and, and you just feel things. I mean when she's in those scenes uh, with the 4-H club or in the church or anywhere, but I mean she's got more, more things to do I think yeah. emotionally.
0: So. Well, her character, it, it, the movie is—it's in a way, it's a coming of age movie. Well, it, her character's yeah, yeah. evolving and has an arc that Ben Foster's character doesn't have and doesn't really need because that's not where, where the movie is going. But yeah, you're absolutely right.
3: Yeah. Right, and his reveal is basically with you know a newspaper clipping. So yeah, yeah. Uh, all right,
0: leave no trace. Deborah Granick's Krannick, latest movie, Dingus's number seven. My number ten pick. Kelly Wand hasn't even seen it. <laughs> <laughs> but I Next. put it at
1: number uh, fourteen.
0: Well, Kelly, one speaking of movies we haven't seen, you saw Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Dingus, have you seen Ballad of Buster Scruggs? I meant to. Does that okay, count? well, it's Kelly One's sixth favorite movie of the year. Kelly One, what's up? What is that? You didn't watch it yet? No. no. I, my problem is it's an anthology. I just have a hard time <sighs> getting any enthusiasm for an anthology, even if they're all by the same we director. I love
3: anthologies when they're horror. But because it, because a... anthology? I thought it was a. I thought it was a. TV series, which is why I didn't um, really watch it for a long time. You'd love it, Dingus. You should watch it, even
1: more than Tom. Haha, ha. take that, Tom. That. I'm okay with that. Hear that today.
0: I'm okay with that. So, so um, Kelly, on your sixth favorite, what uh, what made it work for you?
1: Um, I almost didn't put it on because it's it's not it's it is an anthology, and it, I watched it on Netflix on a large television, and so that makes it. I don't know if that qualifies as a movie. Yeah. It does, because
3: Roma does, so you win.
1: That's the only one, that's the only Netflix thing I have on here, and it's Cohen's. and it looks amazing. It looks really, really good. Um, but it's like a lot of little Cohen like I like Cohen Westerns, and there's not that many of them, and so this one, you kind of get like seven in a row, and there's, a, my note for it is Wad of Death, so I like that.
0: <laughs> Are you saying Wad, like W-A-D of Death?
1: No, L-O-T. Lot. Oh, Lot of Death. Oh, oh, right. Okay, Lot of Death. Oh, good. You know what, kelly one That makes me want to see it. All right. There's some really memorable dialogue, and it's like... There's a really cool framing device, and if you freeze
3: frame it, you can appreciate it more. Like, okay. it's textured uh, look. And, I do like uh, the idea of lot of Death, though, but for a Civil War movie. Yeah. It's, it's not a Civil War movie, per se. I know, but, uh, but I'm just saying that... When Tom said Wad. Oh, you're saying. I can't think of. Or, or Yeah, that's
1: a better name than Glory for what Glory is. Last the there's a lot of death here. in Glory. There's more death than Glory in Glory, really. Um, but yeah, Ballad of Buster Scruggs. I would say that the title one is maybe my least favorite. Um, you know, it's got some really good parts. But there's like two that are really great. Super, right. super good. All right. And um, it's worth seeing. I don't know. It looked better than the most things I watched this year. Kelly
0: Wanda, I will oh. say that I am more likely to watch Ballad of Buster Scruggs before Roma.
1: <laughs> yeah, you're, it's you're, better than you guys Roma, You are never going to see Roma. <laughs> you don't, yeah, know,
0: don't that, know that, Dingus. We on. might.
1: Yeah, we might. You'll you see. You'll it's get just... ten minutes in and you'll be like, uh. <laughs> I'll probably smoke a lot of weed and just stare at
0: it. Well, now I you know, have to I watch, watch it despite – I have to watch it despite Dingus now. So – because
1: he's – I don't think the credits will even be over by the time. The Netflix thing, it shows people <laughs> hugging on a beach, and I'm like, Ugh.
3: I know. I'm <laughs> like, beach I don't want to read some tile for that scene. Fuck <laughs> <laughs> like
1: that shit. All right, I want to we... see some Roman buildings, at least. Uh,
0: my, this is my number seven <laughs> pick, uh, my seventh favorite movie of the year. <laughs> Dingus' sixth favorite movie of the year was Black Panther. Ah. But, uh, what? Kelly, what? How dare no, you? I,
1: I had it on mine for a while. All right, I ran out of space. All right, Digga, you, yeah. you put
0: it
3: higher on the list. What made this work for you? Um, I mean, to hear our, our full praise and thoughts of this movie, just listen to the podcast that we did of it. Because I, I think we were all, well, at least Tom and I, Kelly didn't really understand the movie because he doesn't like comic books. Um, and black but, people, obviously. Wow. Um, <laughs> I'm saying that's what you're implying. How dare you? That's what I'm inferring.
1: What? So oh, I like you see, <laughs> turned it around. It was uh, I took off all my superhero stuff, but it was the only one that was on there it was Black Panther. But go on. Who's the sister again. What's her name? Shuri or Leticia Wright is the actress. Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of
0: right.
3: sisters in there. We put it back. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Wad, you missed a great dingusism. Very good. Uh, so uh, I just love the line. Great, another white boy for us to pick. Dinkus, that
0: was the one I had. Dag, All
3: right, you have to think. Nice. Okay, I'm,
0: here's another. Here's the one I'm coming with. Uh, welcome to Wakanda. There, that was my line. Okay. All right, carry on, Dinkus. <laughs> um, I
3: That's almost not chose. I almost chose another Marvel movie for this list, but I just, I just, I couldn't get away from Aquaman. this movie. Yeah, Aquaman was my uh, was my favorite uh, Marvel movie this year. Bro. Uh, bro. Uh, bro bro, uh broa, but I've seen it multiple times this year, and I'm I just am amazed it. at what this movie gets away with i i just i I honestly can't believe and i and i you know i I've instructed our listeners or uh, anybody listening to this who really wants to know more about what how I feel about this uh to listen to the podcast but I don't even remember the things that uh, I was instructed about how the the character came to be or whether the movie is true to the character from the comic books or whatever. But I just love what Ryan Ryan Coogler does with the material based on where we are now and um, uh, and how he sort of shapes the the racial universe of this movie. Uh, I'm I'm just I'm I'm. I'm crazy about this movie. I've, I've seen it multiple times. I've said this before. And I think all of the performances, um, you know, from, from uh, Chadwick Boseman to Michael B. Jordan are just phenomenal.
0: Uh, so, I'm, I'm crazy about this movie. Uh, the two points I would raise about Black Panther um, is uh, I, my feeling about superhero movies is that Dark Knight was superhero movies growing up and Black Panther would be superhero movies growing out because what I think is important about Black Panther and what I... Really admire about it, above and beyond it being a good movie, is the way that it reaches out to and it recognizes an audience who's traditionally been ignored in this genre, uh, and 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 it's about characters who are traditionally marginalized in this in, in comic books and comic book movies. Um, but but and and the way that the movie does it, and this is the point I was also wanting to make about Sorry to Bother You, it is is not pandering or or excluding to do it. It's not like a Tyler Perry. Uh, you know, this is for this audience kind of approach, which would have been super easy for Marvel to do. Um, it, it's a story, despite its racial specifics, that feels timeless and universal. Uh, and so, I, I really feel it's it's a milestone for superhero movies. Uh, yeah. I uh, well, so the other thing I would bring up is I think Ryan Coogler. Uh, you do not see this sort of confidence with a big action franchise generally when you take an art house director like ryan coogler and give him a project it is amazing to me i am so disappointed and i know dingus i'm so disappointed with ryan johnson's handling of the star wars franchise with what colin trevorrow has done with with jurassic park uh those guys are i feel art house directors who kind of lost control of huge big budget studio franchises so i am hugely impressed that ryan coogler Achieved what he managed anything. to achieve, yeah, that, that it, and with confidence too. Like it didn't feel like it; it just felt like there there, there was a, a, a powerful voice and director behind it. And that's partly the way that Marvel is giving license to different directors and different yeah. voices. And Ryan Coogler was able to express himself I was
1: just beautifully, about Creed too.
0: Um,
1: yeah, Creed. yeah. well, created Fruit, oh, Fruit Fruitvale not, Station,
0: not Creed Two. Uh, no, Fruit... no, I
1: meant Creed T O O, not.
0: Fruitvale I Station, though, is I think really where you see he's a because that's another thing is Creed Creed's more of a I guess character study, but Fruitvale Station is very much an art house movie. And then Creed, it's sort of like the studio was giving him just a little bit more. And then with yeah. Black Panther, they threw you know, okay, take two hundred yeah. million dollars. What are you going to do? A Rocky
1: movie has a weird vibe. Like they're all different vibes. And he did like he somehow captured the Rocky vibe and the Marvel vibe like back to back. Right.
3: He's not he pandering. He's panthering. <laughs> okay did, and also did either of you uh, see creed 2 no, no. Yeah, it's, it's not,
1: it. yeah it's it's not right about it yeah
0: it's not ryan Kugler, so i didn't really have much interest and i think of it as a sports movie i never even saw that uh jake gyllenhaal boxing movie
1: i like that one southpaw southpaw yeah, yeah. i don't i like it. For it Yeah, i don't do sports i like boxing movies that's right. the only sport that translates but also too, My, the one last black panther i was just gonna hmm? say uh i really like chadwick boseman like He's different from the other superheroes of Marvel because I think like with Aquaman, like they just they're trying to make all the superheroes funny now. And Thor is hilarious. And Thor Ragnarok, which was, I think, the last superhero movie I'll ever have on a top ten list. But like, Jack it wasn't. He was just kind of like chill, and he was different from Michael B. Jordan. Like there.
0: Well, that's uh, that was a big. That was sort of the central. Uh, dramatic foil in the movie was Chadwick Boseman's quiet gravity and Michael B. Jordan's righteous fury. I mean, those guys, yeah, 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 as yeah. You, and that's the, the movie revolved around that in the same way that Dark Knight revolved around the ideas of law versus chaos with Batman right. versus Joker. Uh, like a
1: soft-spoken main like protagonist. Exactly ex-
3: right, right. It's totally a bold choice. Except Joker's like I think Joker's you know burn everything down thing is is kind of a standardism now, and. Um, whereas michael b jordan's character in black panther i mean you right you, he kind of he kind of sways you a little bit he's like it, it's 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 that feeling of why aren't we getting involved why are why we why is doing- he the hero that's yeah. michael b jordan and he's i thought that integrity that, and i and i don't i forget how you put it righteous fury i think you might have said tom um i think that's the i think that's that's really the the emotional center of the movie in a way. Well,
0: yeah, yeah. It's a it, well, I, right? I would, it's certainly uh, one one end of a, of a spectrum, and the movie's kind of the fulcrum between the two of them. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. So,
1: I uh, like all the right. Train stuff. Okay. Let's go. So, uh,
0: I, I there's a there's a statue of um, <laughs> uh, there's a, there's a statue of Medusa. Uh, it's a it's a life size statue, and it's Medusa. It's a beautiful naked woman, woman, and it's not. She's not like classically proportioned. It's almost like modern naked. It's a modern statue. Uh, And she's got snakes in her hair. And in one hand, she's holding a sword. In the other hand, she's holding the severed head, presumably of Perseus. And it is an Italian sculptor. It's his take on classical Greek sculpture of Perseus in, in armor and he's got his sword and he's holding the Medusa's head up. Uh, and the, the article that I read about it said that this is a symbol, it's been adopted uh, as a symbol of, of uh, women's rage, uh, women's power and, and, and uh, anger and determination by appropriating this traditionally male form of Perseus having headed Medusa, by flipping it Uh, on its end, and now Medusa's beheaded Perseus. Uh, And and, uh, it's a very, very striking sculpture. Uh, If you just Google uh, Medusa uh, sculpture, it'll come up. Um, Uh. The movie version of this uh, is, uh, Karen Kusama did a movie called Girl Fight with Michelle Rodriguez, and then she arrived on the scene there. And Girl Fight was a boxing movie, like, like Creed, like Southpaw, but with a woman, and it was about Michelle Rodriguez funneling her rage into her career as a boxer. And since then, Karen Kusama's career has been sort of hit or miss. She's done some different kinds of movies. But Destroyer reminds me very much of that Medusa statue in that Karen Kusama takes a stereotype typical cop movie you know and, and this is kind of like the, the the burned out alcoholic divorced cop who's having to deal with his ex-wife and he's got a haunted past and he he just refuses to play by the book uh, and in the 70s this was this stuff in the 70s was uh, a, a central part of a movie like French connection and Serpico this is a stock character that was used to explore the ideas of law and lawlessness and and, and law enforcement and police um, and in the 80s, it became super frivolous with stuff like like Lethal Weapon. But, but Destroyer, to me, is Karen Kusama going back to those 70s movies. And the same way that that sculptor flipped the script and put Medusa holding the head and the sword, Karen Kusama puts Nicole Kidman's character in a 70s cop movie uh, and lets Nicole Kidman be that character. And it is... Unlike Widows, and I loved it because Widows did something similar, by the way, is it takes a genre and it builds the genre around women's anger and regret. Uh, But whereas Widows, I feel, kind of pulled its punch in the end and got a little convenient, and that was fine. The women in that movie certainly deserved it. Destroyer is uncompromisingly grim, and it ends with my favorite way for a movie to end, and that is with a conversation. And that conversation has all of the impact of a, of a gut punch. It's it's fantastic. So there, there's some great plot reveals. It's a really uh, smart script. She wrote it with her husband and a fellow named, uh, I think Phil Hayes and Matt Manfredi with whom she did The Invitation. Uh, and it is an utterly smoldering performance from Nicole Kidman. I mean, Nicole Kidman, there's a lot of makeup involved, uh, but underneath that makeup and through her eyes, there is just something going on that I've just never seen her do before. And it is fantastic. And it, along with what Karen Kusama does, it drives the movie. Uh, so uh, Destroyer is my fifth favorite movie of the year, yeah, and uh, right. I hope we'll get to uh, do a podcast on it. All yeah, right, seen it Sunday. <laughs> Next we have dingus's fifth favorite movie of the year mine was destroyer dingus's is a quiet place oh
3: boy (laughs) basically because it's a smoldering performance and Mm -hmm. uh just what tom said about destroyer basically the same thing (laughs) no uh i know uh we all we disagreed a lot about a quiet place um i i don't think you guys liked it i really really liked it uh there's I'll been a lot of, of uh okay. so the the quote i would say from it don't worry he'll come for us
0: oh um, shoot hold on diggis i need to go back there were three bullets in here okay there that was
3: my destroyer quote sorry go ahead <laughs> i forgot <What>? my quote <laughs> um, cook a mushroom screw <laughs> torpedo in the water i love the the image of the of them screaming uh, yelling at the waterfall because of that human need to just that that yell that need to release that energy um so uh, so i would i would i had a hard time uh i i had a quiet place you know, I, I opened my list pretty early in the year. Um, I think Black Panther might have opened the list this year. I'm not quite sure. I would have to look again. We'll see when we get to the end of the list. Um, but uh, Quiet Place has been up there for most of the year. Uh, it's a more filmic version, for me, of Leave No Trace in some ways. Um, it, You know, Leave No, leave no Trace... I, I at the beginning I kind of felt like I was watching a made for TV movie just because of the of the look of the movie it's just crisp and clean like like a tape almost and I think that's on purpose or maybe that's just what she could afford it just feels like that kind of quality whereas a quiet place looks more filmic um, and that's fine with me Uh, And it doesn't it just doesn't just look that but it has more of the of that kind of music. I mean the music in in Leave No Trace is great too. But uh, in you don't have a lot of music in A Quiet Place because it's called A Quiet Place. But I'm just I I just love the relationships in A Quiet Place. I think John Krasinski and uh, Emily Blunt work beautifully together and and then his insistence, um, his absolute insistence on the casting, uh, because John Krasinski actually directed the movie, um, his his insistence on casting Melis, Mill- Millic- I'm sorry, Millicent Simmons, uh, was really touching to me. Um, there's. And the, <laughs> There's a terrible version of the of this of the example of using uh, American sign language or sign language at all in the the Sicario sequel. Uh, the sign language used here is perfect, um, and I just I just love I love the setup of this movie. I I am willing to bend some of the rules, and I love the justifications that people come up with for the rules. Uh, I don't believe any of the the kerf- kerfuffle about uh, the uh, the problems with the movie because I love the relationships so much.
0: All right, Dingus is fifth area, and Dingus I'm not being uh, facetious when I'm I say I'm really curious now for you to see Bird Box because they have similarities, and I really didn't like Bird Box, but I've talked to a lot of people who for whom it really did work. Uh, so I'm wondering if Bird Box, if maybe I've scared you wrong by waving you off of
3: that. It's a Bird Box challenge. Well, I've, do it. I've right. talked to a number of people about Bird Box, and every time I talk about it, I, I accidentally call it Bird Bath. Um, <laughs> uh, uh. But uh, a, most of the people I talk to are like, yeah, it's really great. What's your problem?
0: Yeah, so you should probably ignore me. I, 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 now you need to see it so I, I can find out for myself. I'm not convinced. I think I think Bird, yeah. So I Birdbox, I've said is basically. I know what your problem is. <laughs> well, Bird problem. Box, I think is a quiet place for dummies. Like that's right. <laughs> that's how I would characterize it. Yeah, it's a it,
1: dumbed so. down quiet
3: yeah. place. I just I All just right. think a quiet place is such a good representation of of how a family can work and the importance of how a family can work together as a team. Well, that's that's not John what's going Christi, on in Bird Box.
1: John Krasinski uh, cried during Mary Poppins returns. So. Kelly Wand, what podcast what are we
0: doing a podcast on next week? Because it's your fourth favorite movie.
1: Oh yeah. The favorite. Fourth favorite is what bike title for it. Uh-huh. Okay, my note says um Bitch war. Redar. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Does it say it in that voice? Is that like
1: <laughs> No But it kinda that woman wrote the script for it twenty years ago. So it's like a good Lesson in tenacity,
2: mm-hmm.
1: but uh, yeah, I it's um yeah it's good. I like movies with just women fighting a lot. In period pieces, especially. Oh, um, period piece. Movies. Oh, again. Favorite? Well, no, and also too, um, <laughs> uh, that monarchy stuff's interesting to me. Now that oh. I in Germany. Yeah, I was all like, "What, Queen Anne? Who the fuck's Queen Anne?" So I had to look it up. And, uh, I guess, um, what's her name? The Rachel Weiss character wrote a book about her that was scathing later, but then they thought, well, oh, she was just mad, but uh, I guess the lesbian All stuff's right. not real. That was ahistorical. Well, okay. But- All right? Is that a spoiler? Well, I, I, I don't, don't know. know. I haven't seen it. Net. I feel... She, she deserves her golden globe, uh, and, what, she's in The Night Manager?
3: Is that... She's awesome in The Night Manager.
1: Yeah, I gotta watch The Night Manager.
3: Actually, oh. she's awesome in just about everything.
1: I like Nicholas Holt's character, too, and I didn't know that was him till after the movie. Like, that was... Eyewitness You? Huh. Interesting. Because he's covered under a lot of makeup. Uh, but I like just the visuals, too. It felt like a 70s Kubrick
3: movie a little bit. <laughs> like, where they're pelting that guy with oranges. A, okay, we're going to talk about it more than the next week. Who who got you to see that movie, Kelly? Uh, I think you guys. Mostly <laughs> Tom. No wait.
1: <laughs> mostly uh, I mostly, get credit was I've seen it.
0: All right. Uh, so you Dingus You didn't see it?
1: What? You
0: didn't see it, Tom? No, no, I haven't. Say it was Dingus that talked it up for us. Oh, I, I thought, when we that's when we you... did our when we did our movies that uh, when we were doing the 3x3 three three on Freaky Hands, it was the the movie that Dingus talked about.
1: Oh, no, that yeah. Dingus, you damn fool. There's All a right, movie on my list for weird hands coming up. Speaking of Go Dingus
0: on. being a damn fool, so huh? <laughs> Dingus, uh, you waved me off of this. My third favorite movie of the year. Here's a line from it. Uh, <gasps> let me find the line from it. Here's a line from it. Um, McCleary said you were brutal. I can be. So, uh, this is a movie about a hobo assassin who uses a claw hammer. Um, And it's it's, so Lynn Ramsey is speaking of hit or miss careers. uh, Lynn Ramsey, I I think Lynn Ramsey is in fine form in my third favorite movie of the year, which is called You Were Never Really Here. Uh, And You Were Never Really Here is, um, I would say, it's basically Joaquin Phoenix. Playing an intersection, a character at the intersection between Travis Bickle and Norman Bates, uh, in that <laughs> his destructive psychosis—it's it's what it's all about—is sparked and fueled by his relationship to women. But unlike Travis Bickle and Norman Bates, he this this destructive psychosis he's instilled with a deep reverence for women from his mother to the young girls that he rescues in brothels so what the does he, what does he do with this destructive psychosis and that's kind of what the movie is about um uh and i i just think it's 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 a it's a a brilliant piece of work as far as how it's shot how Joaquin phoenix is I, I I used to like sort of I could take him or leave him, but uh I love his performance in this. I just love how hirsute suit he is. I love that big crazy <laughs> hobo beard. Um he is completely invested in what Lynn Ramsey is doing. So kind of it contrast to uh, Nicole Kidman in Destroyer Nicole Kidman is utterly indomitable it's almost like she couldn't care less about the movie that's going on around her uh, and she is just yeah. constantly moving forward she's like she's like an unstoppable force whereas Joaquin Phoenix and You Were Never Really Here I feel like Lin Ramsey is inside of his head and is making a movie that is the manifestation of what's inside of his head and what I find one of the things that I find uh, My top three movies of the year, part of why I loved them is the way they tell stories. All of them are movies that – and this includes You Were Never Really Here. All three of my three favorite movies of the year are movies that by the time they were over, I was watching something completely different from what I was watching when it started. Mm -hmm. And I was watching it. In, in all three cases, by directors who know how to pull off this kind of narrative magic without resorting to, to cheap tricks. And I feel that's one of the things that Lynne Ramsey does beautifully, and you were never really here, by showing us flashes. Instead of a flashback telling us who Joaquin Phoenix is, she shows, shows us literal flashes of isolated images that slowly, over the course of the movie, coalesce into incidents that have made him who he is. Um, And it reminds me a lot of what Jean-Marc Vallée did in a movie called Wild and a a mini-series called Sharp Objects where uh, you just show a flash of something and leave the viewer to kind of wonder what that was. You're kind of informing what the viewer's watching, little tiny pieces at a time. Uh, There's sort of a kaleidoscope element to it as you're watching the movie and then the pieces come together and uh, you realize things. So uh, that was my third favorite movie of the year. Dingus, I understand why you didn't like it, um, but man, did this work for me. Uh, I just – yeah, just as a character who suffers psychological trauma but still is driven by a moral compass. I was just fascinated by Joe in uh, You Were Never Really Here. So Kelly Wand, you didn't see it, right?
1: No, but I thought you were going to say I really related to that character.
0: (laughs) There there are scenes – so it – there are also really playful scenes. Um, so so there's a there's a there's a sequence at the end of the movie where he's in a really nice mansion, and there are scenes where he will leave the frame and Lynn Ramsey will linger on a shot of classical artwork that, that celebrates the beauty of, of women. Uh, and there's a reason she does that. And she does all these playful things where she will literally shoot a scene of somewhere where he isn't. <laughs> like it she's so playful yeah. and the and the way she reveals the title too with someone singing the way the movie ends as a, as a filmmaker she's so incredibly playful with this idea of him being kind of a non-entity and him being invisible and a secret assassin uh there's just a lot of playfulness to it um even though it's super dark and super violent by the way
1: um I just not you tell me to see it you fucker
0: I did I am well I'm telling you now uh, so all right what's it called it you was were my, never there
1: you, you were, were never, never really here
0: not to be uh, confused with the bob dylan biopic which is something like uh there i am i forget what that one's called um so you were never really oh you were never really here not there right you're never really
1: wait here. say the bob yeah. dylan one again there it's it,
0: it's something else like like it's there I, there he I think goes it's like an, i'm not
1: there i'm not there know, yes
0: okay very good yeah Dig i don't know that if that's right. actually it then i you think were that is never right. really
1: gear here <laughs>
0: So Kelly Wand, right. it's definitely a Kelly Wand movie. You you should see. Well, you you were said never dark later. and
1: violent. And there you, you go. You should have yeah. really. You have to remind me every right. minute.
0: Dingus's like third a puppy. <sighs> Dingus. Speaking of puppies, Dingus's third favorite movie of the year: Isle of Dogs. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Didn't see that coming. I like you. That's a bold choice. I like it. There's, I don't hate Isle of Dogs. Three rather high for it,
3: but uh, I, I well, it's a Wes Anderson movie. What am I going to do? Uh, I love the I love this movie. I, I've seen it a few times this year. Really? Um, yeah. Uh, so the the quote I would I know the quote I would uh, well I I took people you're a dog person, it. but everybody's a, a, dog a dog person. I'm a dog person, and that's one of the things where I'm watching. Um, uh, again, I keep bringing up Leave No Trace. There's there's a there's there's a couple of dogs in this that really uh, they're that play prominent roles in, in the movie. And of course I was conflating her with, uh, Deborah Granick with, um, Kelly Reichert who, uh, you know, has Wendy and Lucy was a, a prominent dog in it. Um, and I am a, I am very much a dog person. Um, uh, so uh, I I loved the way that this story was told and I loved the animation style of it. Uh, and so the quote from it would be, all the ones I like, they're never in heat. And then there's this moment, uh, this image that I love, uh, where they're walking and you just see these the shadows, the animated shadows of while, while they're walking. And that's just one of the things I love about it. Uh, I, I, I love the way that the story's told. Uh, I love the the idea of the story. Uh, I love the kid in it. Um, I I don't know. I, th- there's nothing I can say about it. If if it doesn't work for you, it doesn't work for you. Uh, that's that's cool. But most of the people I've I've gotten to see it have have liked it. But it might be just sort of a if you like dogs, you like the movie. If you don't, you know.
1: I love dogs, and I like the
3: movie. No, uh, but I, I love... I like it. dogs more than I like the movie. I'm crazy about it, but part of it is because I love the way that Wes Anderson, and you know, we talked about when we talked about this movie during the podcast, we talked a little bit about Fantastic Mr. Fox. Uh, and I just I I just love the way that this movie uh, I, I love the way that he is so in love with his frames. And I talked about this a little bit when I was talking about Roma about how Everything in the frame Makes sense even if it Feels it it might feel Busy if you're not paying attention But everything makes sense if You are paying attention and uh, Wes Anderson all Of his frames are very neat Even if they have a lot of stuff in them Um, They often are Very carefully uh, What's what's the term of art Um, It's not cultivated Uh, Curated Curated, thank you, Tom. It they feel like it, it feels like every little thing is just so, and it, it's often it's often used as an insult to say that his movies are are twee, uh, but I, I like to think of them more as everything everything has its place and he's very careful about that. And I think about Isle of Dogs in sort of the same way I think about Darjeeling limited and the way that train looks and the way that the train is put together and all of the little things in the train and the way the, the, the suitcases are put together and the way the cars look, uh, are so carefully constructed. And I think that I, I, I just have a real, admiration for a director uh and designers who understand how to how to assemble those types of of images in movies and uh, and i just love it in isle of dogs
0: kelly Wan, did you know that isle of dogs and isle of dogs are homonyms i told you that you fool <laughs> <laughs> so no i didn't all right uh kelly Wan's third favorite movie uh under the silver lake
1: yeah, bitch. Oh, Dude, Jesus. you didn't think I'd like this? What are you, nuts? Uh, are you it's going? not out. I
0: have not seen it.
1: Fucking. It's, it's, I mean, it doesn't you know. have a
0: U.S. release date. Like, there's no. Uh... Oh, that's
1: too bad. You missed it.
0: Yeah. So, all right. But why you is this. Know your... what you're missing. Why is this your third favorite movie of the year?
1: <laughs> why isn't it my number one? is the real question. What are you talking about? <laughs> Andrew Garfield as a guy who smokes weed and wanders around L.A. solving cereal box mazes and getting laid? <laughs> why didn't you think I would like it? It's great, and it's it's so short. It's,
0: really uh, it's the, the guy proper it's, length. David Robert Mitchell. No, shoot, I'm screwing. I don't have a mnemonic. Oh, I, for, no,
1: I don't have a mnemonic for the
0: order of uh. Thing is, who directed it follows. Robert David Mitchell. David
3: Robert Mitchell. David Robert Mitchell. I remember okay. it because of uh, oh, dong range machine Gun.
0: Nope. D- uh, Digital rights management. DRM. Pi- anti-piracy stuff. It's, it's anti-piracy uh, measures. So DRM David Robert Mitchell. Okay, good. So uh, Kelly Wand, it's David Robert Mitchell who did It Follows. Can you see uh, – Dingus and I liked It Follows. What, what would we like under the Silver Lake?
1: No. <laughs> but in fact, I can't really think of anyone I would recommend it to uh-huh. at all. Like – and I know a lot of stoned idiots, and I still wouldn't recommend it to them even. I think uh-huh. they just fall asleep watching it. But – uh And I think it's, it's kind of dumb. (laughs) Um, And I was kind of enjoying the Hitchcock analogies until uh, a character walks away from a tombstone, and it's Hitchcock's tombstone, and his name's on it. I'm like, all right, so we can do watching.
0: I, I'm actually saying it does have a U.S. release date in April, uh, so in a few months we can maybe do a podcast on it, and we can – you can find out, Kelly Wand, whether we like it or not. So – but it's your third favorite of the year. Yeah, uh, it's my bronze medal. All
1: Under right. the Silver Lake. You're welcome, slaves. Don't miss it. Don't see it. Don't see uh, it not stoned.
0: Kelly Wand's fifth favorite movie of the year, which is my second favorite, and it also applies to this idea – Of a movie that by the time it's over, I'm watching something completely different from what I was from what I was watching when it started uh, is Hereditary. My second favorite, Kelly Wan's fifth favorite. Uh, A lot of what uh, oh, and my line from Hereditary would be, uh, "Holy shit! Huge party tomorrow at Aaron's house. Bring your dick."
1: Ah, wait. (laughs) Okay, my note. That's kind of. It's yours, kind of ruined. Other than that, it was still a cool party. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> so that that's a text actually that one of the characters and i only know because i've seen this movie so many times that's a text that one of the characters gets from his friend to yeah. set up the fact that he's he's going to try to go to a party later on <laughs> bring your dick, I, Tom. I love the event yeah bring your dick so actually my line would be you going to take your sister uh does she want to go uh have she you asked, asked her, her? <laughs> just yeah, those exchanges that. The, the domestic so family exchange. yeah okay. exactly it's so family so uh the One of the reasons that Hereditary is so compelling for me is I see it, and I don't even know if Ari Oster, who directed it, did this intentionally, but but I see it as a parallel to Poltergeist that is more appropriate for the times. Um, Poltergeist was a, a, a thrilling adventure that had a safe ending. Uh, it was from the 80s, which is a very confident period, full of benevolent extraterrestrials and safe TV and and you know lethal weapon fun stuff like that. And uh, there's a lot of idealism. Um, we didn't have a 9/11, and so poltergeist was a super colorful suburban adventure and that was state-of-the-art horror back then um hereditary real
1: estate developers villains
0: (laughs) hereditary has almost direct one-for-one analogs amongst the characters a mother a father a son a daughter a spiritual medium who is helping them recover uh what's happened to their daughter and they're both in poltergeist and hereditary but whereas Poltergeist was this fun eighty AD adventure, hereditary, and I just want to read you guys this last paragraph of uh, my, my review here. Uh, hereditary is all malice and hopelessness. I mean, Her- hereditary is so uncompromisingly just hateful uh, to its characters. Uh, and I would say it belongs to a time when Marvel superheroes dissolve in an existential apocalypse, when characters from Star Wars get killed and die when a super nice chemistry teacher turns into a meth dealer, when people who wouldn't even be the slightest bit interested in fantasy have been traumatized by the red wedding, uh, when social media Becomes a, a a river for hatred and bigotry, and is emboldened by a broken political party spreading craven tribalism. When mass shootings have the backing of a powerful lobbying group, and when the Soviet, when Russia, a country run by thugs, is pulling strings around the world, is invading its neighbors, is shooting down passenger planes, subverting sovereign nations, all but unchecked, and 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 specifically at a time when ISIS. A terrorist group in the Middle East, burns people alive and beheads them. This is the period in which Hereditary is is placed. This is the zeitgeist for this movie. And Hereditary hums with a subsonic sickening malevolence. Otherworldly, but resonant. For me, this is what horror is all about. A mirror in which, tragically, we see the worst of all possible worlds. Uh, and I, so I... I'm a big horror fan, and just so few horror movies affect me anymore. I enjoy them, and, and they're fun. But Hereditary just I found very, very affecting for uh, just how hateful it was. So Kelly
1: Wan, why did you like Hereditary? I think my issue is still with the ending, and, and not because I think it's a bad ending, but I think it subverts something that was horrific earlier in the movie that turns out to not what we thought was happening and so you lose that horror um but also i think labels are stupid and so the idea that it has to be a horror movie um it just becomes something else like i thought it felt like a period piece to me in a weird way that's what's funny about like i your point's totally well made but also it felt like a a 60s horror
0: movie to be part of the uh part of what i feel is the malice in hereditary is the ending because normally in a bleak horror movie ending you know somebody dies and it's over and it's left to your imagination oh evil prevailed you know like the end of the omen the end of the omen uh oh gregory peck doesn't kill the child now the child's gonna grow up hereditary exactly rosemary's baby hereditary goes beyond that hereditary lets the bad guys gloat basically yeah. And I, I love the ending of *Hereditary*. I, wouldn't, I really I wouldn't, love. I wouldn't the change arcs. a jot or tittle of it. Go ahead.
1: <laughs> yeah, and it's still it, that thing is like the reason it's on my list is it has really good value, and there's some amazing scenes in it, like lots of it. And I like the I like all the characters' arcs in hindsight. Um, but the reason it feels like a period piece to me is when you like you just when you were describing all those things about modern, like the times we live in. Uh Movies are shittier now. Like to me, like they're very processed and very designed like Aquaman. We live in the age of Aquaman. So like hereditary to me is like a it's like a throwback to when movies were more personal and experimental and they weren't trying to give the audience they were they were willing to punish the audience.
0: Like, so Kelly, why do you say that, um, i I disagree because I, I think Part of what's remarkable about Hereditary is how it reflects on the genre of horror. Uh, Horror movies, you have crappy Blumhouse stuff, and that's PG-13, and it's for kids, and it's product. But horror gives people like Ari Oster a lot of room to do remarkable things – that aren't what other movies are doing horror you find a lot of creative stuff that gives us movies like bone tomahawk it follows it comes at night raw babadook and the witch uh hereditary is in that same category and these are movies that do what you're talking about and I sure I, but i, I
1: see I, all those as exceptions
0: well, well well sure but uh they're they're exceptions but they're also the notable horror movies of the last couple years um and and you i you know, none of them, none of the, none of them is is a typical or is a studio thing or is necessarily even an easy watch.
1: Uh, right, I, I, but would they have gotten? I don't know if they're specific to, like, if they'd been made in the '60s, I wouldn't have been surprised.
0: Kelly, one, well, there are some crappy horror movies from the '60s too. By the way, we sure, just, sure, we totally. just, we no, just, no, no. we just don't remember any of them because we're not yeah. watching them anymore. But for every Rosemary's Baby, there was some crappy. Roger Corman stuff, or uh, yeah, you
1: know. and it's got one of the best sound designs of any horror movie. Yeah, yeah, like it's yeah. just horrific sounds, yeah. and it really is like a good like lesson for if you're like a, a film school student in how to design like why sound is important to film. Yeah, and horror specifically, because yeah. without right. it, it wouldn't be as bad. Just remember, bring <laughs> your dick. good oh. you uh, didn't get laid there.
0: Kelly I Wand, I <laughs> that did not work out well for him at all, yeah. No, bring yeah,
1: my sister, bring my Ke- dick, got it.
0: Kelly my Wand's eighth, eighth favorite movie of the year, and Dingus' second favorite movie of the year was The Little Stranger. Ooh. Dingus, you like that a lot, apparently.
3: Yeah, it was almost my number one. Even more than *I of Dogs. Yeah. Yeah, and there's dog. that's the thing, dogs always die in movies, and, uh. I don't, that bums me out. Not in American movies, they don't. That's one they of the do. rules. What? No, no they're not there's allowed a dog in be. a horror
1: movie. They
3: always die in, in American movies. Not in More action movies? The, if,
1: if, yeah, if, yeah, they if, do.
3: If you but, kill a god, humans, but if you kill a dog, everybody goes, oh my god. No, if you kill a dog, it's an easy
1: cry. And they, that's why they always do it. Because they know they're going to get everyone in the audience. It's like a low-hanging fruit. Cause it's, it's always sad. It works on me. That's why it's annoying to me it's the black eyes of uh, my black eyes Like you don't like black eyes in horror movies like Uh, dogs just exist to die but yeah little stranger number three two what is it so dingus is
0: number eight or uh, dingus is number two kelly
3: one's number eight favorite yep i i love the way this movie is paced um i just i i think that uh this is one of those movies that unfolds for me uh again You know, often we go into movies. uh, I try to go into movies, and Tom, I think, does this as well. Uh, Kelly will often say, well, that gave it away in the trailer. But Tom and I always say, well, don't watch the trailer. Uh, Right. No, it's not me. We we do not watch trailers, so I I go into a movie not even sometimes knowing what genre it is. So I didn't know what genre this movie was going to be. I didn't know what this movie was going to be. And I, I love this movie and this is why i'm going to talk very little about it because of how this movie reveals what it is and then afterward one of the pleasures of a movie like this is getting to discuss well what's your interpretation of what the director was actually or the the writer and the director or the screenwriter adapting a novel or whatever was trying to tell you what this movie is or what story are they trying to tell uh it, and this isn't necessarily meaning that the movie is ambiguous uh or that the the director hasn't decided what it is uh it's it's just that there's a sense of i get to interpret things and i get to have a discussion with my friends who have watched this movie to figure out, well, what do you think this movie means? Well, I disagree. I think it means this. I think that what this movie is actually driving at is this. I think it's this kind of movie. Well, I don't, I think it's that kind of movie. And that's one of the things I love about the little stranger and why even now, as I think about it and him touching the banister and the quote, I, a man can out, cannot outrun himself. Um, these things really, were hugely meaningful to me in addition to uh in addition to the way that the performances work in this movie um in particular donald gleason he's just phenomenal in this movie and he and he you know much like uh thomas mckenzie and you keep saying her middle name what's her middle name uh harcourt and i don't think she uses it anymore so uh yeah but harcourt is a cool name it is anyway Uh, Thomas and Mackenzie's, it doesn't have to do a lot and neither does Donald Gleason really for most of the movie, but you get this sense of who he is uh, and there are these great close shots of him like preparing himself and, and his grooming and, and, and I love, and again, uh, I'm not just pimping the podcast, but uh, I, I really love Tom's take on, um, on what the movie is saying about class, uh, and that made me look at the movie in a in a new way, and that's why one of the reasons why I love this podcast, doing this podcast with you guys, is because it makes me look in at movies in 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 a, in a different way from from a slightly different perspective that that I might not have considered. Uh, so that's why I, The Little Stranger is really meaningful to me. Um, why did you like it, Kelly?
1: uh i just like the dreary it sucks to be britishness of it and just the washed out (laughs) shittiness and um and kind of like you know i'm glad i'm glad i don't have to i'm glad i wasn't born in that kind of a society because i wouldn't have flourished i would have just been annoyed all the time what just who gives just give the fucking fruit (laughs) get out of my way move and i think Um, that's
0: that's another example too of how uh horror movies these there, there's some uh, there's some amazing horror movies out there, and this is one of them I would say
1: yeah, and the acting's amazing, and the dialogue's great. I love the lines that can be like they sound innocuous, but they mean a lot like why would it why would it matter to me if uh I don't know just I can't remember the context of that one line, but everything that character says is very revealing about the character yeah. and make and helps makes Tom, makes Tom's case solid. Because Tom thinks it's a completely unambiguous movie, and you think it's an ambiguous, open to interpretation movie, and I don't know. Because <laughs> there are a couple of things I thought Tom didn't explain. He's like, the movie doesn't care about those things. I'm like, well, wait, if the it's one or the other, it's either ambiguous or it doesn't or it makes perfect sense. Oh, um, but I, you know, I it made me want to read the book really quickly. I really liked, uh, and that's what was interesting to me about the movie, is I went, the baggage I brought to it was Fingersmith, um, her Sarah Waters novel that is the basis for The Handmaid. And it was a very densely plotted novel with a lot going on in it, like a lot of plot developments that weren't in the movie. Even. And so The Little Strangers is such a way different vibe and way different pacing, um, and a way different point, um, and way different characters
0: that uh,
1: felt uh, fresh to me.
0: I feel now like I need to watch uh, Luther just for Ruth Watson. W- Wilson. Wilson. <laughs> See, you were hey, thinking of Wilson. How dare you? Well, no, I was thinking of Dingus calling her Sarah Watson. I think when we recorded, and, y- yeah. and you, Kelly, and you saying Waters fool, <laughs> like that was. <laughs>
1: yeah. He took such great umbrage, didn't he? Yeah. He- <laughs> well, if it's a writer's name, then I get all of fair fun. enough. Yeah. I don't care for the actors because I don't remember the actors' names. All right. Uh,
0: we all, I, I, so here. this is the first movie that is on all three of our lists. It is my sixth favorite. It is Dingus' eighth favorite. Kelly Wan, what is your second favorite movie of 2018? Ah, The
1: Sisters Brothers. Thank you so much. I'm so glad I got to see that. What a great movie. I loved it. Fucking Westerns, man. John C. Riley. Wait, so it made me want to see Holmes and Watson, because he's got two movies out of the, three movies, because I didn't see Stan and Ollie either,
3: but, um. Oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. Jesse Rod's so good at it. What uh, number is it on your list, Tom? Uh,
0: my sixth favorite. It didn't sixth. quite t- crack the top five, but I loved it. I was so glad to see it, yeah. Uh,
1: yeah, it's really unpredictable,
0: I think. It, I it's it really it, 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 it one of the things that I love about it, and, and this is really hard to do in movies. Uh, actually, it's really hard to do in any storytelling, is it takes four very different characters yeah. who generally would not be interacting with one another, and it puts them in in situations where they have to interact and it makes their interactions feel plausible and fascinating and not contrived and forced in a plot convenience. It's it's not like one of those movies where the, the male and female leads fall in love because of the male and female leads. I mean, the four characters that the sisters brothers are about, they shouldn't be hanging out with each other. I mean, with right. the exception of maybe the two of them and they, are brothers. They agree. And, yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, and. It, it's so I'm, I wasn't the least bit surprised to discover after it was over that it's based on a novel. It has a very literary feel to it as yeah. far as the, the character progression and the character
3: development, um, the, it, some of the dialogue. Um, well, it handled did, the action really interestingly. Some, some of the dialogue feels written because of – it feels written in the same way that uh, Assassination of Jesse James feels written in some ways. It feels like this weird sort of medium – Between Bone Tall Hawk, and assassination of Jesse James, almost.
0: But my my line from it would be, "I'm not splitting hairs. You're using a strange word, and I'm making you notice."
3: (laughs) (laughs) I love that.
1: I love that. I love that. See, that's not enough reason to see the movie, right there. Like, there is an example of the dialogue, and that's just one character. There's four different speaking styles. Yeah,
3: yeah, and each one is distinct. Like, I mine would be, "I'm 35 years old, and my life is like an empty cylinder." It, yeah just, that's uh, that's
1: good i really like
3: that that
0: just sings that jake Chillenhall sing. is so uh, like just to, yeah. how genteel he is is so the way he talks is just fascinating in
3: the movie yeah Isn't it, it's so weird it's it's so strangely cultivated and the yeah. way that reads med uh like uh, susses him out you know yeah. you yeah. smile people after not used happened. to
1: talking to each other something
3: yeah, like the line about the
0: smile is something that it's—I mean—that's exactly not not how probably most of those people talk to each other because most of those people were ignoring those two characters. Um,
3: yeah. yeah, that the whole brothers,
0: thing about the whole thing about Tyler. yeah, the whole thing about the smile and and Jake Gyllenhaal's reaction to it, like he's kind of yeah. flustered by being told that. Uh, yeah. They're just great little every almost every single little moment like that is is just fascinating to watch the delivery and the reaction, uh, just the interaction amongst the characters and the
1: jump cuts where it goes to I don't want to give too much away, but there she's he's get there to get about to interrogate a, a character about it, where a, where a safe is and what's in it. And then the next shot after that. Perfect.
3: Like yeah, yep, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And his expression when she's like, I'm not going to tell you shit but the cut
0: <laughs> well there's a there's a lot going on in the the storyline which is another yeah. reason that it also feels very literary um in that it's uh yeah. Yeah. It, it's a western yeah. it, it's a western but it's also very much about science and idealism and brutality and family yeah. and pragmatism mm-hmm. versus thinking for the future uh but these and, characters and, are
1: considered important.
3: Yeah. it's
0: also political. Yeah, there's there's just so much yeah. in it. It's such a densely packed movie in terms of the themes that it wants to talk about, that it wants its characters to, to mention or to think about. It didn't even. do well.
1: Nobody saw it, and I wonder if it's because the title threw people off. Or the well, it's
0: an art house movie. Like it's yeah. not a conventional oh, western. It's
1: so good. I we will
0: say though, good. the the shot where they come into San Francisco was lovely. Like I, you see plenty yeah. of westerns. You see plenty of westerns where they have a set which is a small town and the the dusty road and the 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 clapboard buildings in the saloon and they get maybe you know 50 extras for that but there's a shot when they come to you know 1851 san francisco where i was like yep that's what you get when you get star power like joaquin phoenix and john c Riley and jake gyllenhaal in your movie you get the budget to do this kind of shot uh yeah he says like i think he says like this is
3: babylon or something like that yeah yeah
1: like why Uh, don't people i don't know i think we live in a shitty world well kelly was this movie's not i I would say it, to, to
0: understand why this movie is not popular, all you have to do – and I would love to talk about this and maybe if we'll do a podcast on it – all you have to do is consider how it ends.
1: That would make it more popular. Like
0: what it does – no, no, what it does and doesn't do at the ending, like the way that yeah. uh, the ending is, is implied and then the way it unfolds. Like what happens yeah. at the end uh, is – it would get, it would get, it probably did, it would get a C on CinemaScore. I, <laughs> right. like I think they like that.
3: No, are you kidding me? Yeah. go see the, the Holmes movie. Yeah, the, exactly. Uh, Killer One, oh, no, I
0: want to see that too. No, none of the idiots, it's not a, a crowd pleaser ending.
1: But idiots hate Holmes and Watson. So what's the lesson?
3: Oh, good point. <laughs> I, I, I so it. my my image from this movie is that there's this moment in the beginning of the movie. So I'm not giving anything away in the early part of the movie where where a character is going to sleep out out you know in. Oh, uh, you're not going to say what I think you're going to say. This uh,
0: this just makes my skin crawl. What are you doing, yeah. dingus? No, Go no, on. I'm not going to
3: okay. say that. Uh, this uh, I will say this that this movie made me almost vomit more than once. Oh uh, God! Uh, <laughs> uh, it really, literally made me wretch. my. And look nightmare. how competent that character uh, is in other areas. But, <laughs> <Right>. but, <laughs> but that's what I'm going to say is is there's this moment where a character goes to sleep on his sleeping bag out outside, and you just have this shot and and I love this shot. Of him putting his hand on his yeah. gun as he goes to sleep, uh, yeah. And this this director is named Jacques Adiard. right? And uh, and he directed uh, a really wonderful movie that I, that was on one of my lists a few years ago called Rust and Bone. Um, he's oh. a really really cool director. Is that uh, a western too? No, not no. at no. all. It's it's all right. nothing even like this. And, and he, he also did a, a prophet, or a prophet or Un Prophet, uh, which uh, which is is a really good movie, but. Uh, it's kind of a long and tedious prison movie as well but i really loved rust and bone um not as much as i love this I, this this movie was really moving to me in a strange way but yeah. phys- uh, but almost physically moving to me it's graphic and it's weird and and i love that john o'reilly uh was a producer in it because he gets to do things that he i often yeah. don't don't often see him do whereas Lucky um, phoenix is great in it but he's kind of doing a lot of the things that he does that sort of violent vulnerability that tom was talking about
1: and they're know, brothers And
3: yeah. you were never really here uh I, I i i like the way that they balance each other uh, yeah. but i really love what john o'reilly's <laughs> doing like, Dang, this really like you that. did it twice it's c
0: fool <laughs> <laughs> oh john c Riley, sorry so it's I, evil. I was just channeling Kelly Wan's correction about Sarah Waters. Wait, what did he say so, it was? He was calling him John O'Reilly, but that, that's that's not John O. It, so John, John C. C. Riley, what about ten years ago? He was completely miscast in a movie where he's supposed to play like a mysterious vampire leader. A movie called Cirque du Freak, which is like a young adult vampire movie, and he's supposed to be the basically vampireless dot in the movie. And he's trying, he's trying really hard. He's giving it all, but it's just not for him, and the movie's not for him but it was fascinating to watch him try to do a different kind of part. So that's one of the things that I really adore about Sisters Brothers is I will never see him the same way again because of what he can do in this. He's not playing the dumb slow guy. It's the complete opposite of what you're used to him playing and he just he gets his arms around it easily. Like it it, it feels like yeah. the part was written for him and he just looks great in the part uh, you know when it, 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 like his face, he's convincing. I, he's so convincing. I'm used to looking at him and thinking, "Oh, he's funny in stepbrothers. but Check out. There's none of that here. I mean, he just he just eases into this completely different kind of character, and in a way, he's one of the most powerful characters amongst the four of them. Um, he's yeah. certainly the wisest, uh, the smartest, yeah. and and when John C. Riley is playing the smartest, that maybe not the smartest. uh The most pragmatic, I should say. He's the most practical of these characters. Yeah, yeah. And and just the whole bit with the toothbrush is a great symbol of that, by the way. Uh, As someone tells him, this will help you keep your teeth in the future, he's on board with that. Like, I love the way that he bonds with Gyllenhaal. Yeah. Yeah.
3: Your breath smelled different. Oh,
0: that scene with Alison Tolman. Oh, I so loved that.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Oh, that is a
3: beautiful scene. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's a beautiful scene. Yeah. Uh,
1: so uh all right sisters brothers brothers.
0: yeah we we all liked that quite a bit good all right let's see moving on we've got three more which is good because i I now know you guys saw a movie i was worried you wouldn't see uh all right Uh, okay well let's do this so i know you guys haven't seen this you probably haven't even heard of this so i'm just gonna read what i wrote about it because you won't have any questions about it because neither of you've seen it i've talked about it before um My favorite movie of 2018 is uh, a Norwegian movie called Thelma, Uh, and I'll just read you what I wrote. Thelma would have you think it's about a young woman breaking free of her restrictive religious upbringing. It would have you think that you're watching a coming-of-age story about empowerment and independence, and that's partly what's going on. But the genius of this quiet thriller is how it decides it's also going to be something else. Uh, Thelma is a very Norwegian, not quite fable, written and directed by someone named Jacob Trier. Like Lars von Trier, to whom he's slightly related, Thelma is rife with imagery, but it's not overt. Uh, Jacob Trier has all the craft of Lars von Trier, but none of the bad boy auteur pretensions. So in Thelma, he mostly gets out of the way, and he lets his script and his actors do the work. A lot of the stylized imagery uh, in the movie is of a blink-and-you'll-miss-it variety, and most of it is about invoking religion so that the dialogue doesn't have to. There are a few brief conversations about religion. It's brought up. It's an important part of the movie because the movie being about a woman who comes from a a strict religious background, but the movie would prefer to express its ideas about religion visually rather than verbally. So, hence, you have images like the snake in the garden, stuff about creation, forgiveness and miraculous healing, punishment and hellfire, baptism, the fall of a sparrow. All of these things are invoked in the movie, and it's all very deliberate without being overt and sometimes without even being real. Uh, the lead actress in Thelma is a woman named Ailee Harbo. And I, you know, I, She's so moving in this movie. She is, I would describe her as fiercely frail, and there's a reason I would bring up these performances, by the way. She's as fiercely frail as a woman named Garance Marillier in a movie called Raw. She is as luminous as Saoirse Ronan in Hannah, and as disarming as Sissy Spacek in Carrie. She's of a piece with Ingrid Bergman for the strength and the stillness of her performance in Thelma. She's a lovely young woman, and from certain angles, she looks almost otherworldly. She shines with a secret wisdom. Thelma's the center of the world, and all of its mysteries are within her. What a terrible power, and what a terrible burden. There's a scene in Assassination of Jesse James where Brad Pitt, he's walking over the ice, he's leading the horses, and he sees a fish swimming under the, the frozen ice. And it inspires this monologue about suicide, which is kind of a pivotal part of Assassination of Jesse James, uh, where he talks about once you've other seen the other side, you, you never want to go back to your body anymore, and you want to spoon up your own puke. And it's this very visceral expression of, of despair and suicide. So he pulls his gun and he shoots at the fish. The opening scene in Thelma is with a young Thelma, a little tiny girl, a little actress, plays the young Thelma, and she's remarkable, too. She sees a fish. She sees the fish swimming under the ice of a frozen lake. And this little girl, she's barely old enough to talk, she looks at the fish, and then she exchanges a look with her father. And it's the opening scene of the movie, so you wouldn't want, you wouldn't know what to make of it, but that look, that exchange, is more than you could possibly know. At that moment uh and Thelma is like that throughout there's not a single scene or exchange or even a flicker of light that doesn't fit into the puzzle of what has happened what is happening what will happen and most importantly what it all means you cannot possibly understand the intricacy and the intent of Thelma without seeing it a second time there have been some truly remarkable movies lately about young women finding their places in the world and empowering themselves in the process. They are variously celebratory, like eighth grade. They are wry and honest, like Edge of 17. They can be wistful, like Leave No Trace. They can be keenly observant, like Ladybird. They can even be bloody, like Raw. But none of them is as haunting as Thelma. All right, so you guys haven't seen it. I mentioned it briefly before, but probably didn't speak about it strongly enough. I've seen it a few times since then, and it's my favorite movie of 2018.
3: I'm more of a Daphneist. <laughs> I just had a hard time uh, because it – you know, with a lot of the movies I, – because I really wanted to watch Thelma, um, but uh, I had limited amount of time in December, and uh, – there's so much 2017 like film festival release dates for the us that i didn't think anybody would allow me to do it as a 2018 movie so i watched that opening part and i felt like i was watching hannah at the beginning and then all of a sudden you realize no 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 you're not watching hannah um in in a very good way uh that that fish moment and of course the the other moment you're talking about um are just you're, it's it's a stunning it's a stunning opening to a movie.
0: Uh, it's it did film festivals in twenty seventeen. Had a very brief theatrical release here, starting in twenty seventeen. But the online release here was twenty eighteen. Certain awards in Norway it got for twenty
3: eighteen. Right. So right. Uh, and I pushed. I, I know you're it right about this. Yeah, because yeah. I bought the movie, um, but uh, but I had to like parse my time out.
0: Well, I also would say, and, it, and it just thanks for indulging me and let me read all that. I I don't think. Thelma would necessarily work for everyone. I think a lot of it has to do with uh, the, the way I appreciate movies being about, uh, about women, the way I feel about religion, uh, the way I feel about horror as a genre. Uh, so a lot of Thelma, I think, is super specific to me and I don't think would necessarily work as well for other people. And maybe uh, there's people who've seen it who are like, that's Tom's favorite. And it's just a very personal choice. It's certainly not the best movie of the year, but it's the one that spoke most directly to me that I found the most moving. Uh, and probably that I've seen the most times. I mean, the weird thing is kind of like a, it's like a slow arty Norwegian movie, but I get suckered into watching it every time. Like I've, I've seen hereditary, I guess maybe four times this year. I've maybe seen Thelma half a dozen. Uh, I just, it's just like magical to me. So, all right. So Thelma, that's a huh. uh, thing. Is so you it's should... the Norwegian La La Land. Exactly, Dingus, right. It, yeah, you know what? Yeah, fair enough. I get a kind of a weird buzz from seeing Thelma. Yeah. La La Land's Tom's Twilight. <laughs> so, uh, Dingus, you need to finish it. Kelly Wad, you should see Thelma uh, just so you can tell me how you didn't get it. I'd like to know.
1: I can remember. I can already tell you that. I can't remember the last movie I saw half a dozen times, except so maybe is a thing.
0: Well, the thing is I'll, like, I'll, when I'll I'll have it running while I'm doing something else, on the, and I count that as watching. It's just – like some people will put a movie on the TV when they're doing something. I'll, I'll open it in a window on my desk while I'm writing or something. Is it so, in
1: Norwegian?
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. It's in Norwegian, yeah.
1: So you're listening to Norwegian while you're writing. Well, he, um, he's now learning Norwegian. Yeah. Well, there's right.
0: subtitles, and and Eileen Harbo is just so incredibly expressive, and certainly the girl who plays like her girl, like it, and the, the two actors who play her parents. I, I mean, at this point, I just kind of like seeing the scenes out of the corner of my eye, and I could tell you what they're saying probably without even subtitles, not word for word, but I know, okay, that's the scene where they're talking
3: about X, Y, or Z. Uh, so, uh,
1: that's all right. How Dingus is with Quiet Place.
3: No, that's how Dingus is with. Uh... Captain America thought. Winter Soldier. Ah. Bucky. <laughs> also a movie with a uh, cold things in it.
0: Yeah.
1: And a creepy hand.
0: My 8th favorite movie of the year is also Dingus' favorite movie of the year, which I now know what Kelly's number 1 pick is.
2: Dingus, Aww.
3: what is your favorite movie of 2018? Uh-oh. All right. Uh-oh. My absolute favorite movie of 2018 is a movie called The Rider. I didn't know how
0: much to stress huh. whether or not you should see it, but uh, I, I tried to not push it too hard, but I figured
3: you would know to see it. So, um, No one told me to actually, see it, jerks. The the reason I, I was kind of most motivated to see it was, I think our friend Bruce was like, why aren't you idiots watching this or something like that? Yeah. Uh, uh, I think he was. I think he might have been the first one to tell us to watch it, but I'm not sure. He might have gone to see it with his wife. Uh, I might be totally off about that, but um, man, this movie just <laughs> it it. I told you I was a, an easy cry earlier on, uh, uh, and it it kind of has resonance with a couple other movies on my list. Real quick, thing uh, is, give me a line from it. Uh, I, yeah, I heard you had that touch. Now I finally get to see it. <laughs> uh, it's probably my favorite line, and, and the the that the scene is, is I, when you say that. I know
0: exactly the scene, and yeah. that that's like that's one of the most amazing things I saw all year. That scene. Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah that that first training breaking that that, that thing. Oh my gosh. And uh, I didn't even really know. I'm sure somebody must have told me at some point along the way what what the deal was with the movie. Uh, but I didn't even know that. Um, but there are things that I dread that are going to happen in the movie for the whole movie. Uh, but it's just. <sighs> good, good Lord, this movie, it, it is it is. And it's not it's not even I mean, I I I rode horses when i was growing up um not as a job or anything just because i loved just because i was that was part of the culture where i grew up in colorado um it's directed by this this woman named chloe zhao uh who has directed some movies that i have never seen uh and it's 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 got characters playing real people um and it's just it is so moving in the way that uh some of the movies that maybe even that that Kelly Riker might make make perhaps where it just feels like characters are talking and they're they're doing their best and they might not be the best actors in the world, but somehow uh Chloe Zhao gets these amazing performances out of them that that are utterly moving to me and the relationships between the characters and the relationships between the main character and um, the animals in the movie and and the way that he adjusts his relationships between the characters and the different animals and their different uh, personalities uh, just was just drew me into the movie and this is one of those movies that I watched and it, it – I don't often feel this way when I'm watching a movie, uh, but sometimes I do, that I didn't want this movie to end, that I, that I felt like I could just keep watching this movie. I could keep watching whatever is going to happen, happen. And you can keep going on and on and on and on and on if you want to, but the movie ends at just the right moment. But I felt like the movie could – you could keep – telling the story i could i could live with this character who's this 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 played by this guy named uh, brady Jandreau, who's playing brady blackburn uh i could watch him do that forever i could watch what he's doing and him develop this character or develop his life because i felt like i was watching his life i felt like i was watching these people's lives uh mm-hmm. in in some of the same way that i felt like um I was watching, uh, what's the Steven Soderbergh weird movie, Tom, bubble. about the bubble. In much the same way I felt like I was watching Bubble, where I felt like I was maybe watching actors. Now, the actors in this, the, the the performances in this are better, I think, than the performances in Bubble. But Steven Soderbergh is able to coax uh, performances out of, uh, out of actors who aren't necessarily actors. And... In a, in a way that is really compelling and not a gimmick, and I really loved that about the writer. I I, uh, I, I just I was so pulled into this movie. I mean, well, why did you like it, Tom? So uh, I,
0: um, one of the things that makes us unique as human beings, uh, and and this is a lot of what the movie is talking about, is how our capacity for empathy compromises sometimes our our strength we feel that it's more important to be alive than it is to be strong and the movie is very much about the empathy we feel towards each other even when we break even when we are beset by by age or infirmity um it's a fundamental part of humanity that i feel is is basically knitted into our being generally by religion uh... it's part of our morality and uh, even people who are not religious anymore like that 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 quality of empathy is part of being human and it's not something that exists in the animal kingdom and a lot of time it's not something that exists for the animal kingdom but the writer is about that kind of empathy amongst people who coexist with horses and bulls who ride horses who do rodeos as stagecraft and who have you know me not being a cowboy I don't get a sense for, like I would think, yeah, cowboys, they just like think of horses as, as tools and they're things that they have dominion over, but they don't. It's not that simple. There's a lot of reverence there. Um, and the writer is very much about that. It's about when you're an empathetic person, how you might also interact with a, a scared animal. Right. Uh, so what moves me most about the the writers I feel it's about empathy. And I feel empathy is one of the most important qualities we can have as human beings. And this is a study of empathy that doesn't use acting because when we did a, a podcast a three by three on uh, people playing themselves my, my number one pick was a fellow named Lane Scott who was a, a rodeo performer oh that's right that's where okay yeah Yeah. so uh, Lane Scott a young fellow who uh, did a lot of uh, rodeos um, uh, almost killed in a car wreck he was comatose for months uh, and he's He's alive now, but he's almost like he his his body doesn't work. Uh, He can barely do sign language. He can't hold his head up. Um, And in the movie, Lane Scott is cast as himself, and Brady Blackburn is a friend of his in the movie and goes to see him. And the scenes of Brady Jandreau, a young man playing Brady Blackburn, and Lane Scott. Uh, a, a poor fellow whose body is shattered, who is comatose for months, who can barely get his hands to do sign language. The scenes between them, that is empathy. I mean, there's no acting there. Just like if you were to watch a movie where someone actually punched someone else in the face, that would be a powerful thing. You wouldn't want to see that. But that's what this is like in that there's no acting. There's no pretense. There's no stage cap. Neither of them is being disingenuous, A, because Elaine Scott probably can't, um, and B, because... Y- Brady Jandreau obviously has feelings for him. You can see it in the way he talks to him, the way he touches him, the way he interacts with him. It's remarkable watching these two men and watching Brady's expression of empathy. And you can't fake that. And the other example is with the panicked horse. Uh, This fellow, Brady Blackburn in the movie, and I presume Brady Jandreau in real life, uh, is a horse trainer. And I would think that a horse trainer would just, you know, I guess you just have to like, show the horse who's boss and give it the what for, and eventually it'll settle down and you put a saddle on it. But no, there's a lot of calming the horse down and, and getting to know it and letting it know you're not a threat and sort of leaning on it and then maybe putting one leg up on it a little bit and maybe leaning a little harder on it. Um, you know, you let it smell the things that you're holding. He's trying to condition a horse to not panic at a gunshot, and he lets the horse smell the gun. Um, there's just this, this tenderness and interaction in terms of break, not breaking, because that's even a terrible verb for it, uh, in terms of calming this panicked horse to make it tameable, to make it rideable, to make it learn how to interact with human beings in a way that fulfills a horse's purpose in, in life, basically. Um, so uh, that's, that's why I like The Rider, because it's a movie about empathy. I feel that empathy is an important quality of humanity and of religion, and it is absolutely 100% real throughout The Rider in a way that's not in a lot of other movies where you just have people playing characters.
3: Um. Right, right. Yeah, and it, it absolutely feels real to me because uh, I, I recall moments where I was learning to ride a horse and where I was taught um, the horse knows what you're communicating with your body. He understands how you feel. He understands... The way your muscles feel he understands your emotions through your muscles Uh, like when when he's like leaning against a horse and he says I'm teaching him pressure right
2: now right right
3: Um, or when he's just doing these little things you think doesn't he know how to get on a horse yet but no he's just teaching the horse like this is how my body will feel because this horse has never had somebody on him ever. Uh, and the and I remember riding horse on a long trip, with uh, with a huge group of people over this ridge as in a lightning storm about on the in the tundra of Colorado and 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 the I was just a kid and the men saying just let the horse find its way down and just try not to be afraid because if you're afraid he'll be afraid or he'll sense that he's in control uh, and and that feeling of of him you know there are moments where he does use different strategies with different horses but based on their personalities i mean he screams like obscenities at one horse but that's that what that's what that horse needs like certain kids need certain types of parenting i'm not saying they need to be screamed at but i'm just saying certain dogs need certain types of uh training and horses are the same way they they all have their own personalities and we tend to think of them as this Amalgam or this just this 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 uh, this one color of thing, and your idea of empathy I think is perfectly uh perfectly put together because each one has to be seen as an individual
0: yeah and and these horses can 't act these horses aren 't actors just like Lane Scott and Lily andre cannot act. these are all genuine one hundred percent interactions uh without artifice uh, right and and right. they 're beautiful to watch yeah and when, so he, when, when he says the word cinematic.
3: brother. When he says the word brother to Lane, he also has said the word brother to a horse. And there's, there's there's a similarity to it, but there's a slightly different color in the way he says the word brother to a horse and the way he says brother to Lane.
0: All right, Kelly Wand, you should see the writer. There you go. Huh? What's it about a writer? <laughs> Uh, All right. Right. There's one movie left to discuss, and I don't even have to click on it to know that it's my and Dingus's fourth favorite movie and Kelly Wan's number one movie of 2018. Kelly Wan, what are we we talking
1: about? Dude, eighth grade? Oh, my God. (laughs) Jesus. She deserves an Oscar even if she's really like that, which I kind of doubt. But yeah, R rating. Cool system. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> now here's where Kelly won, because that is one of the one of the beauty
0: of of eighth grade, and and I know that a twenty four, they uh they actually worked with theaters to have a screening where uh they would encourage people under eighteen to see it. Uh, it, it is a movie that I really am kind of bummed that people like Kiernan can't go to. That uh typical. That, that for being so real, it does have to be get penalized and alert parents hey this might be too real this might sh- this might share with your children things you're not ready to have shared with your children i mean that's the what the r system r- sucks that's well, what that's, the r- what, r- that's what the r rating is saying is you may not be prepared to to share this stuff with your children uh-huh. it's not saying your children shouldn't see this i feel yeah, very yeah. strongly about that
3: yeah. that's right. not what they're going to see absolutely from it. right yeah. yeah that's what
1: they're going to see when they see the r rating.
0: so kellywan why oh. is this your favorite movie
1: oh my oh, god and, and, it's fucking-
0: Kelly Wand, real quick, let's all do a quote from it. What would yours be, Kelly Wand?
1: Uh, Sometimes I get second and third base mixed up. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mine would I be... I did laugh
1: at that line, and I also shuddered.
0: Yeah, I want to talk about this scene in a minute. Mine would be, Dad, this is more than one thing. It's a chunk of things. Yeah. <laughs> Dingus, give us a stop line being from 8th grade. i sad. Give us a, give us a line from 8th grade. Yeah, stop being weird while you're doing it. Yeah. <laughs> Dingus, give us a line.
3: Fine, I don't like bananas, okay? (laughs) Oh, God, that part, too.
2: All
0: right, so so Kelly Wand, uh, I cut you off for the line. Now, what were you saying? Why is this your favorite movie of 2018?
1: Uh, Well, it's like what you were saying, where the number one movie is the one that resonated with you. Uh My Free Fire resonated with me the most last year. Those are the characters I related to most, but this year I related most to, uh, what's her name, Elsie Fisher? Yeah. She lost to Glenn Close wife jesus all right whatever was she nominated uh, for
0: a golden globe yeah oh good for her good it was it a drama
1: or a comedy or labels high rating system whatever uh oh wait it's so that... good okay Huh? What? wait so was this
0: because if... the golden globes do musical comedy and drama with well, eighth grade would have been probably musical yeah, and martian comedy, went right?
1: for comedy right right uh, last year uh but i'm assuming it would have been a drama it's a drama movie isn't it
0: I mean, I, the Golden Globe, there's a lot of politics, too, in terms of which gets put in what category. So I, I didn't All know that.
1: All right. Uh, so. God, it's so good. Eighth grade, uh, I'm really grateful you got me to watch this because I, uh, I think it was the only movie where I could watch it once sitting. And also, Dingus was amazing at it as Aiden. <laughs> All right, so you say
0: that. All right. Here's the deal. Kelly, one, let me set you straight. Dingus uh, might look like Aiden, but in reality, he's Gabe.
1: Yeah, I know. But he hears
0: the <laughs> music when he jumps Right, it. exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, uh, so Elsie Fisher, uh, Kelly Wan basically playing on things you've said, she she acts in the movie like someone who doesn't know she's in a coming-of-age movie. And right. so often, young actors act like they know they're in a coming-of-age movie, and she yeah. doesn't do that. She And there's so many scenes that uh, – there, where she's not acting like she's the lead character yeah. in the scene. And I love how she does that because that's yeah. part of the uncertainty of being that age. Not and, a vanity piece. Right, exactly. And, and, and she's doing two things that are fundamental to good acting. There are two qualities that apply to what Elsie Fisher is doing. One of them is fearlessness and the other is honesty. And yeah. both of those are present just immensely in what this young woman is doing in this movie. And what – Bro, Bo Blackburn, what's his name? Is anyone? Can you? Oh, uh, uh, Bo Burnham. Burnham, yeah. Blackburn is the character and the writer, but what well, Bo, Bo, Bo Burnham is doing? Bo Burnham is just does a wonderful job giving her script material and just yeah.
1: capturing what she's doing with it. It's beautiful stuff. Oh, so I'm so glad. I feel so bad for kids now. Like they have to grow up in this social. So be- Dude, okay, if we so had you. Bones in that shit. When we were kids, it would have been unbearable. So you you mm-hmm. say that, and Dingus
0: made a comment about uh, this being a horror movie for parents, which I, I want to hear about. But I, the the takeaway for me is that this movie, the 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 adjective I keep coming back to, this movie just felt so celebratory to me. Uh, about about youth and the, and the hopefulness and and the relationship not, between a dad uh, and a daughter, it just it really celebrated being in eighth grade, even though it's difficult. I just watched it and just marveled at what a wonderful time this was for this young woman, despite occasional uncertainty, despite difficult times. It just felt like it celebrated that period in her life. I thought it was uh, so.
1: So I don't you, think she, she thought that at the time. I think later she'll go, Boy, that was crazy. Well that was kind of the point of those little time
0: capsules that she leaves
1: herself. Right. By the way. Yeah, yeah but she's right. agonizing over those like everything.
3: Right. That, that's that, what that, I
1: said it, then? Ugh.
3: That video from herself is one of my favorite things about yeah. the movie. Is her is is this time it's it's like traveling in time and getting or getting a message from somebody who you weren't. <laughs> but now you're somebody else, right. but it was you. I mean, it's this weird shift, and I love that video from herself. Well, and the it, new one she leaves
1: is even better. She's like, all right, look. <laughs> it's kind of like uh, Kelly Wan described
0: Dark Knight. I think this is you, Kelly Wan. As one of the remarkable things about Dark Knight is it's a superhero movie where the superhero doesn't save the, the people of Gotham. They save themselves in that whole fairy dilemma. Um, In this, in this movie, she saves herself. Like, her past self comes in and encourages her and and that she makes the the tape for when she's going to be 18. like she's she's doing exactly the right thing to save herself and to protect herself she's making the right call in difficult situations about being pressured into sex about how to behave around people who are antagonistic towards her and who to suck up to and who to regard as a friend and not uh like like she she rescues herself in this she's uh even though things are difficult Uh, And that's partly also why I think it's very celebratory.
1: I think I'm a little closer to Dingus than you, though, in terms of – because, like, the friend who's nice to her, like the high school girl. Olivia. Yeah, Olivia. Olivia. That's all tainted now by the end of the movie. like uh. Why? Because that's one of the things that I loved about Eighth Grade. What it didn't do
0: is it didn't make Olivia turn on her. I was sure. No, that no. That was gonna...
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
0: was, I was, I was worried there was going to be something like where Olivia wouldn't return her call and that would be a source of angst or yeah. something. But the movie didn't do that. As far as we know, they're still good friends. Why did it do No, think I that... think
1: because now she's afraid to talk to Olivia because she's embarrassed by her experience with what's this fuck. I don't Perfect. think she's afraid. I don't that sounds uh, like a don't tell audience. her don't tell her what happened.
0: Well no, she's she's ashamed, right. She doesn't want Olivia right. to know, but I don't think she's not gonna talk to Olivia. I mean I I don't know, maybe that's an interpretation, but I got the sense You've never that... see Olivia
1: again yeah. Really? Careful, okay. You
0: guys. Come
1: on. Oh. Okay.
3: What? I dingus didn't six dingus. For, I'm just saying six careful for
1: being spoilery.
3: We're talking well, you're talking about the end. So I'm just asking you to be careful.
1: Alright, well Dingus is the horror uh <laughs> Eighth grade, person.
3: Uh, well, the, be- the best thing about the- that surprised me about this, and I and I'm glad you brought this up, Tom, because um, the- this is the thing that I loved about it. And I have to echo what Kelly said. I'm so happy you and you said this multiple times to us. Have you seen Eighth Grade yet? Have you seen Eighth Grade yet? Have you seen Eighth Grade yet? It's
1: the rich man's edge of seventeen.
3: Uh, it's 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 for me. It's a horror movie. Uh, but a parental horror movie, I mean, it's not really a horror movie, but as a parent whose kid is just in the ninth grade and was at that time asking permission to do certain social media things that we hadn't previously permitted, and all his friends do those things um, so uh, we, we are on certain social media platforms or whatever you call them, um, we had to have like a family meeting. Even though our families are are separate families now, we still we still co parent carefully. Um, we had to get together and like set down certain rules, and the and these are the ideas, and this is what we're going to do. And then watching this movie, it it just felt like there there are moments, especially like when the father and the daughter are at the table having dinner, and she's uh, just ticka 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 ticka, and he's trying to have a conversation with her. And I can see it from both sides because I remember that – I remember the feeling that way. Like uh, don't ask me about school. Uh, and I remember now driving my kid from school and trying not to ask him too many questions and waiting for him to open up on his own. Well, a daughter
1: um, would be even more magnified I would think. That's, that's what my takeaway from it. grade. Right?
3: Well – but for for me having to have those meetings and then see my kid using his phone so much and and getting on those platforms and how they and how it's it's like this it, once you open the, the floodgates it just feels like oh my gosh I can't stem the flow anymore uh, it's it's frightening it's really really scary for for a parent because you have to monitor all of that stuff and um, the daughters just...
1: pray in a way the son isn't. Like
3: well, no, I mean a, a son can be prey too, but you're sure, right in sure. a way that a daughter isn't. You're absolutely right, uh, but but Tom introducing me to this movie was was horrific to me, but in a very good way. In a in a in a way that in and that's why I call it a horror movie because horror movies are so scary to me, and I'm I wasn't used to that genre until you guys started to go, come on, and sort of pushed me over the ledge, and I. I get a certain enjoyment out of it, and but you also learn that sort of existential idea of uh, of of how life works, and this movie gives me that same existential fear. Well, it, it's I, I love the
0: when it when it first started, and I didn't know anything about it, and uh, it begins with Kayla with her video and yeah. she's, she's saying like, and um, and there's all these yeah. teenage girl affectations. I was like, Oh God, this is going to be some annoying movie about it's gonna be 13. A... I was like, Oh God, this is gonna be some annoying movie about some popular self-aware YouTube, social media kid. Right. But then it shows that she's not getting hits. That she... and, right. and then it shows too, that she is like, uh, she wins the most quiet award and and she tries to uh, she tries to she forces herself <laughs> to say nice job to people just because she doesn't want to be known as quiet and uh, and i realize this is or, not this is not yeah. about some super popular teen like this is supposed to be a sympathetic portrayal of of a of a young girl trying to find her place in the world and yeah. it's not some preternatural Young lady, Desperate. written by an adult, uh, to give you. She's not like super articulate. Um, so the the opening monologue on her YouTube video is about uh, being yourself, uh, and and in her own stuttering way, Kayla has this <laughs> monologue about you know you should always be yourself, and and the irony of that is that people at that age don't know who they are yet. And, and furthermore, right. they are changing dramatically. And that in a way is kind mm. of the movie in a nutshell, is how do you figure out who you are when things are changing so dramatically? And I love the way that the movie's answer to that is, You triangulate with the people that you love and the people that you're meeting and the people that you get to know. You evaluate who is good for me, who isn't good, who's an Aiden, who's the jerk in the car, who's going to try to pressure me into having sex with him. Who's watching
1: my videos and liking them.
0: Exactly. Exactly. Who's a Gabe, who's a guy who's appreciative, who I might not have noticed. Like like that whole thing about just be yourself is an easy thing to say, but at that age, it's a difficult thing to do, and it's fundamental to what they're trying to do. To what kids are trying to figure out is who am i uh so i love how that early youtube video i was like oh god but then later realized yeah this is this is the point of the movie and bo is burnt burnham no Bo Burnham. Burnham, yeah. Bo Burnham really. is putting it front and center right when it starts. Well, is,
1: and her next video is exactly like she's completely selling out. Going, yeah, there's this friend of mine. She's just oh yeah. well, well, it's so like uh, it's it. It reminds me of those like internal
0: monologues that Charlie Kaufman writes for himself in adaptation. Right, it's so yeah. it's it's her talking no as herself to someone else. Like it's her it's trying to okay. coax herself through this difficult situation. Uh, I I loved right. how how disguised
1: as. Yeah, exactly
3: yeah exactly uh, that's a great terrible. analogy I didn't even think of an adaptation that's great well that's that's the good yeah. thing so social
0: media of course a nightmare and old guys like us think it's a terrible thing but boys a storytelling device in a movie where you don't have to have voiceover <laughs> like it and was eighth grade it was terrific it was horrific. a, it was a godsend to, to eighth grade
1: right. so it, and to it, be a girl yeah. in eighth grade with social media like I it hadn't occurred to me how momentous that would be. And if you're someone like her, oh, dude, <laughs> it's intense. It's such a performance. Is she that age or is she playing young?
0: No, she's that age. She, she's also uh, an actress. She's been around for a while. Like, I, I'm, I'm super glad she got this. And I, I'm i terrified she's going to do a Chloe Moritz-Grace and sort of tone down. and clear. Like, I loved in this movie, and I don't mean this to – Sound like a dick or anything, but I, I loved how imperfect her skin was. I, I oh, thought that, yeah. that that was Bezu. such a lovely And the
1: swimming part. pool picture?
0: The, sw- the the little like back fat on her on her bathing suit yeah. when he's passing along. I mean that was such an smile, honest, brave thing for her to do. Smile. Um, but she is an actress and she's been around for a while. You guys, she's the, uh, it's so fuzzy. She's that despicable me voice actress. Uh, <laughs> I would hate to so see it.
1: I, I'm scared to see an interview with her and to find out that she's like the popular girl in the movie. I like, don't, in real life. right. Well, like, see, yeah, the thing is, know, I don't, I nailed that role, bitches.
0: I don't think she is. Cause <laughs> super I think, confident. I think mainly her background is in animation. So I, I think as a voice actress, there's a, uh, yeah, you know what? I don't know. Kelly wand, but I, I'm just, I really hope that,
1: uh, Voice actors have to do a lot of range, so that is an right. encouraging sign. Like,
0: right. Yeah, the movie, range between It's So Fluffy I Could Die and the, It's So Fluffy. Yeah, there's a lot yeah, of range yeah, in there, yeah. Kelly Wand. Yeah, she's known range for quite some time, Kelly Wand.
1: <laughs> but I felt so – I love movies where I feel protective of the character. Yeah. Like that's yeah. really hard to get me to do because I'm very cynical and very jaded. I know it, I'm, everything's horseshit. Don't don't try and convince me. Chloe Grace Moretz is Carrie White. In <laughs> your fucking mind, <laughs> yeah. Carrie in the books fat and zitty and she's miserable and low. Yeah, Chloe Grace Moretz would. Oh, she's such a dork. She would never fit in at high school. Well, it's what makes like her that, neighbor's
0: character. It's Jesus what, Christ. It's what makes that scene in the back of the SUV so hard to watch.
1: Yeah.
0: Like it's oh, so in, in it's so painful. Grade? Yeah, yeah. With, with the the guy saying, "Now you ask me a truth or dare. Should I take my shirt off?" Uh, like, oh, that that scumbag. I mean, there's the failure of parenting in that movie. Is that guy? And her dad's like,
1: her dad's dreading dropping her off. Like, oh, I'm leaving my little girl to the atten- of the <laughs> dropping her off at the mall to hang out. Oh, so- like that would be so. That's like the dad's really, arc is yeah. so cool in that movie because he's yeah. so trying to get her to like him, and she's just like, ah, oh, you embarrass me constantly. And then at the end, that's such a sweet conversation they have oh
0: my I god that there. yeah do, do i make you sad like that is just <laughs> and so for me to god. like that kind of a scene for yeah. me to like that
1: scene kelly Wan that's
0: redemption. High the redemption i praise for there's redemption there kelly Wand. that's what i'm saying <laughs>
1: that's what i'm saying you know I'm what it reminded
0: had... it reminded me of uh in uh oh shoot what was that movie with frank grillo as a driver was it called the driver no what is the movie where frank grillo drives the car around Wheelman. Wheelman. Wheelweed. It reminded me of, of of Wheelman's advice to his daughter in the scene really, where presumably yeah, really. he's going to go off and die, but the movie pushes out. Uh, right. Where he says to her, "Don't do what. No matter what, don't do anything for anyone you don't feel comfortable doing." Like that's yeah. that's just a great and obviously Kayla was told that at some point. And and I it was just you know that scene could have gone so many dark ways. And there's a similar scene by the way in Edge of Seventeen. Uh, and I'm so glad to see these scenes. As examples of, you know, here's here's what yeah. young women should know how to do: is to just stand up for yourself, don't give in. And even like in Edge of Seventeen, she really likes the dude. Uh, yeah. I don't I don't think Kayla thinks that much of this guy, but I, I just I, I love seeing scenes like this that end the way they should, and not the way they would in a Todd Solons movie.
1: And those other characters, uh, and also, uh, 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 like uh, what's fucking what's the Saoirse Ronan one called? Ladybird. Ladybird. Ladybird's a tough character. Like she's a badass. Like you're not really worried about her. Like you just fight her. She's just fun to watch and interesting. But like eighth grade, she's kind of a weak character. Like she's trying to discover I mean, I mean, she's going through a transitional phase. But she is a weak character. With and it's like, it's hard to play that role. I think if you're not like that, like you yeah. kind of like act with the conversation.
3: And um I forgot my point once. What? <laughs> it's not only that, but. From a practical standpoint, and I love that Tom brought this up. uh, Her, the way her, just the way her skin looks, I kept wondering, is that makeup? Are they doing that with makeup? Um, Because it's pretty brave for a young actress to let herself look like that. I mean, that's That's
1: what your skin looks like at that age. It's realistic.
3: It's more immersive that way. Yeah, well, definitely yes, but Hollywood doesn't didn't used to allow you to do that. right and that's why hollywood kind of sucks like this is why eighth grade's better is <laughs> yeah.
1: isn't it yeah. I mean, it depends, yeah. on what kind, depends on what kind of story you're telling like no man that, if that's... his skin had been bad it would have been maybe a different like to see jason momoa's eighth grade
0: Eighth grade Stop. is amongst Hollywood as Kayla is at that pool party, and I, I just love how the pool party is all of these perfect, idyllic-looking young kids, and she's there in Relaxed. the middle. Of it. And the, the movie plays it too, like a like a horror scene too. Like she, it's a one shot thing also, and I guess they're the little inset shots of the kids, but just her walking amongst them and then going to the pool and just kind of wilting up against the wall there. Uh, yeah.
1: And it's like we live in a society where if she brings a, a thank you note to, it's like she's the weird one. Like, what kind of sick fucking culture are we? Where <laughs> that poor sweet girl's like, "Thank you, I brought, made, wrote you a note about how fun your party was." <laughs> like, that's she's a weirdo for that. Fuck you, Kelly. Wan, you're Outrageous.
0: the You would be Kennedy in the movie. I wish.
1: <laughs> <laughs> My dreams.
3: Uh, Kelly, you said something about, I don't know, I think it was you who said something about the father trying to get her to like him. Well,
1: um, not to, not to see him as, like, uh, the dad. Like, yeah, come on, we're friends, too. And she's just like, Ugh. I mean, she's yeah. just going through that stage where you're not, like, a baby in Dirty Dancing,
3: if you will. She's really... Oh wow! You the just number one man yet. in
1: my life. Yeah, I know. I wanted to see what you do.
3: No, uh, but I, I like your, I like your, I kind of like your take on that, Kelly, because I didn't see it that way. I saw it more as just him trying to connect. Because well, yeah, yeah, I, that's what I meant. Well, um, no, but I, but I think you're, you're right because parents use a number of different strategies. And, and father-daughter
1: and, dynamics specifically, because that's something I know nothing about. Like I'm a pure,
3: yeah,
1: I don't have any sisters, and so I didn't really observe any of this, and it seemed really. It just seemed intense, and like I'm so relieved I don't have to, I don't have his problems. I'd be terrible at it. I'd just be worried, worried constantly
0: about her, like just, he is. The movie but. also makes me more mad at Boyhood, That stupid. Yeah, uh, they got that, it easy. Uh, yeah. yeah, we don't have to do anything. <laughs> no, not the, not the concept, Kelly Wan. the, the uh, Linklater movie. Yeah. Oh. oh yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, both, but
3: yeah. um. Oh, uh, thanks for bringing yeah, he's that great. up, Tom. <laughs> <laughs>
0: uh. all right kelly one's number one movie of the year eighth grade mine and eighth dingus grade. is number four so dingus do you have picks that listeners have sent in for their
3: favorite movies oh good lord uh i forgot about that hold on just a second are we gonna do our disappointeds and surprise okay yeah let's do our
0: that- oh i forgot yeah let's do our most disappointed let's see what do i have for surprising yeah okay uh our most disappointing movies of the year kelly Wan, what was most disappointing for you
1: I got to say, I was the most disappointed by, uh, and this one was hard for me, because I never expect anything to be good, so a lot of movies just suck, but I knew they would suck, um, I was kind of circling around Mandy, but I have to say, you know what, fucking Ant-Man and the Wasp, the jokes sucked in that movie, it sucked ass, those characters were boring as shit, and I liked the first <laughs> Ant-Man, goddammit, I know wow. you thought I was a fool, and me and Dingus were both fools for liking Ant-Man, but I remember Ant-Man being fun. And Ant-Man and the Wasp isn't fun. It's really boring. Kelly wants pulling no
0: punches. And
1: Seriously. after Infinity War, you're giving me that, and I thought, oh, it's going to be. It, there's got to be something about it that will justify that. And no, it's fucking boring. It's that there's no good. There's no reason to watch Ant-Man and the Wasp that I can think of. I was uh, outraged. That's a the Marvel one. How dare you? I was, I was outraged. <laughs> Aquaman's better than Ant-Man and the Wasp.
0: My most disappointing Jesus. movie of the year was a movie that I. I was so on board with it. I loved maybe the first three quarters of this movie, uh, and then the last quarter happened. Uh, so Paul Schrader, <laughs> Paul Schrader did a movie called First Reformed with Ethan Hawke playing a, a, a priest. Um, and it is a thoughtful insight into how religious faith could possibly fit into how bleak everything is in the modern world. How can you be religious? How can you believe in a benevolent God with the state of the world? And it's a a classic theological uh, conundrum that that religious people have to wrestle with. And the first three quarters of First Reformed are Paul Schrader's really insightful look at that with Ethan Hawke uh, and another couple of actors um, and some amazing conversations. I, I just love the first three quarters of it, but Somewhere around the three-quarters mark, Paul Schrader decides he wants to a Travis Bickle 2.0 in his movie. He, he, he has Ethan Hawke turn into Travis Bickle, and that's how First Reformed plays out, and I hated that. I was so disappointed that this really cool movie about religion ends with a guy who wants to – blow up a bunch of innocent people. it was people. a studio note
1: to Schrader. Like, hey, can you give us more uh, taxi driver? Yeah,
0: dude. yeah. Mm-hmm. Revisit and your
1: taxi driver. And less exorcism. Yeah. <laughs> or...
0: so.
3: Diggis, what was the most uh, disappointing thing for you this year? Uh, that would be Solo, a Star Wars story. <laughs> oh, yeah, you were looking forward to it, you dumbass. <laughs> well, I That's really the weirdest loved... part. I really love. I did really like uh, Rogue Squadron 1... But someone else's Han Solo, like
1: just that phrase by itself in your head. Uh,
3: I I hated. him. I hated like simple things like how that Kessel Run. I thought the Kessel Run was horrible. (laughs) I helped the Kessel Run.
1: I'll be there. I hope you mentioned me in the cantina to Luke and (laughs) Obi-Wan. Me and Jira did the Kessel Run. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. She was disappointing. I thought she'd be great as Jira. <laughs> the one who got away. Wait do you see it. the sequel.
3: I hate it. <laughs> Law
1: not a direction. Alright, Lord Miller. Sorry. <laughs> Alright. Why was, why was Solo less than you were hoping? <laughs>
3: less than wanna, you envisioned in your dreams of Solo. Like what saying. Well, the main reason is this. Uh, a movie about Han Solo... Uh, and this is what I said during our podcast about it. It's the last thing it should do is play it safe. And the whole thing this movie... Never tell them the odds, Dingus. ...is, is play it safe. Uh, the movie is visually dark at the beginning. You can barely tell what the hell is going on for much of it at the beginning. It's so visually dark. I mean, just... It, I'm not... Um, again, I'm mean, not... Like it it it's just visually like, who's doing what? Can, can you guys turn up the projector lamp? Uh, and I, I thought, I literally thought, and I said this during the podcast, um, is the projector lamp low here? Cause that used to be a thing where, you know, the, the projector people would like, uh, or the people who own the theaters would keep their lamps low in order to preserve the life, uh, regardless of how the studio demanded that the, Film be projected. Um, But that was not the case because other people from around the country who are listeners or from around the world would say, Yeah, it was really dark. What was up with that? Um, It was just poor cinematography, it was a poor idea. In a Star uh, Wars movie. But course, thematically the it should have been dark. It should have been a dark movie thematically at the beginning with him being just as humorous. And if you can find a way to balance that, that would have been awesome. But instead it's just like a happy-go-lucky, la, la, la. And the castle run is horribly handled. These are things yeah. that, that, again, like with Prometheus, there are certain things I guess I don't need explained um, if you're not going to explain them properly and yeah uh, if this and is what
1: you're if this is what you planned that's even worse yeah jesus and,
3: and i don't think that their idea of of constructing the solo Ooh. of this particular universe works at all all right
0: kelly wan what was the most surprising thing for you this year
1: uh i really didn't want to see spider verse i thought you were <laughs> an idiot Right. A cartoon
0: it. A marvel cartoon and then i
1: went yeah, and then I drank heavily and smoked a lot of <laughs> weed and watched it, and I was like, what?
3: Doesn't, so that that just, was, doesn't that just make you at the same place? Like, if you drink a lot and then smoke weed, doesn't that just sort of balance you? Listen to no, Dingus Kelly I, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Listen to well, one's drug a stimulant, wisdom.
1: one's a depressant, so I kind of get what he's <laughs> saying, but everything's a depressant for me. But also, my backup was Robbie Malik and rhapsody but he won a golden globe so i guess i don't need to talk about it but it's like bohemian rhapsody here's the thing about bohemian rhapsody there's a line in it where someone goes call me once you love yourself so it's jira it's It's that kind of a movie so it's pg-13 horse shit but he's really good at it it was way better than stars
0: I would not be exactly. the least bit surprised at Rami Malek being good in something, I have to say. Yeah. Really, yeah. really good. And the concert <laughs>
1: stuff's amazing in that movie. It's kind of, <laughs> of worth seeing. I was really surprised. So, so since you. Kelly
0: Wand has two biggest surprises, I'm going to do yeah, two yeah, biggest surprises. Yeah, do two. Yeah, do too. Uh, My yeah, biggest surprise uh, – well, I'll go with the one I liked. But I, I'm, not at, I'm not at all surprised that I loved an Armando Iannucci movie. What I am surprised about is that it. it the title was literally – that it was literally about the death of Stalin. <laughs> I, I thought it was like a metaphor, or I had no idea he was going to do a historical political piece. Wait, that piece. was this year? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that I would have
3: put, put it in my top ten. Yeah, that, that was almost on my list.
0: Yeah. Um, And I just oh. – I, I never would have thought that Armando Iannucci, with all of his stuff about modern politics – Could make as compelling and as relevant a a movie about a succession crisis as he did with Death of Stalin, which I loved. And that I'm not surprised about, just that, yep, it was about Stalin. Uh, And then my other biggest surprise, I guess, would be how much I didn't hate A Star is Born. Very pleasantly surprised that that wasn't as insufferable as I might have guessed. I'm surprised he didn't
1: make your lists. (laughs) Well, you two were gushing on about it like a couple of uh, fucking
0: pelicans. Dingus, what were the – what were you You get two surprising things since, since Kelly Wand and I both had two.
1: One yeah, your... when you're the most easily surprised
3: – you're an easy surprise, I think. Yeah, sure. a, yeah. Pelican's so gush, by the way. All right, so I yeah. only had one, but I'll come up with another one. I'm at a whale. My biggest surprise was a movie called Crazy Rich Asians, which I really liked. I, Crazy sh- Asians. <laughs> because it, it, it felt like – at first when I was watching it, for the first – I don't know – third of the movie i felt like i was watching sort of a metaphor for hollywood in the modern era <laughs> uh, like uh but you'd have to watch the movie to understand what i'm talking about this this idea of um in metaphor is probably the wrong word because it's too close to reality is you know China overtaking the world and China overtaking Hollywood as well uh, I, I found it really a charming movie. I loved I loved the line and Tom when you <laughs> when you said the line from hereditary bring your dick <laughs> um, it made me think of that jerk saying let's make some babies when they're going to the uh tanker for the um bachelor party uh he yells let's make some babies wait you um, do you think i've seen crazy rich agents i thought you had no no i have not <laughs> but oh. i
0: i love that you think i've seen it. i wanted to but it's not something i got around to see so i'm uh, glad really, to hear that you were surprised by it because i definitely want to see it
3: i really I like it i think the the actors are really great um There's a lot of over-the-top and goofy stuff in it, but it doesn't go as far as you think it's going to be. It's basically sort of a romantic comedy, uh, but it's really got a really nice sensibility to it, and I was kind of dreading watching it. But I really liked it a lot, so Crazy Rich Asians would be one of my surprises. Um... Yeah, I
0: didn't get to watch it, Dingus, because I was busy seeing things like White Boy Rick and uh, Bumblebee. So, you know, I had my plate full there.
3: Different color schemes. Um,
1: uh, right, I one know. surprise for Dingus. Everything yeah. else was exactly what he expected. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: yep. Dingus, we'll we'll let you. That's uh, Venom.
0: But, That's what I thought Venom was going to be. <laughs> <laughs> uh, much. Oh um, no! I want to change my biggest disappointment. I
1: venom? just
0: I just watched Puzzle. Oh, oh I'm, so, I'm so mad at Puzzle.
1: Come on, McDonald, bro. I'm
0: so mad. She is so amazing. She's so adorable in it. I love her in it so much. Um, She's in
1: Holmes and Watson, too. I'm old.
0: Yeah, but, but she, Puzzle funny. Puzzle is all her. Like, there's not a... Uh, and uh, yes, you don't like it? I don't like a, her
1: Black Mirror that much.
0: Not it's a single crazy. scene without her. And I, I love her in it, but it does... It, it becomes a glib romantic comedy when really it didn't need to. Ew.
1: Because
0: her, her relationship I with... I thought uh, it was
1: about... Okay, yeah.
0: Her relationship with Irfan Khan <laughs> is, is, is just – it's – it's I, I just couldn't get enough of them together in the same room. <laughs> and the movie decides to go ahead and just make them fall in love for no good reason, and it makes no sense, and it's it's utterly inappropriate. And it j- the movie just becomes so just crappy and glib, and it betrays the characters. would sold me a
1: gammy spell.
0: And she doesn't get to do her Scottish accent. Instead, she does uh, like a Midwestern Sarah Palin-y kind of accent, which is super sexy, Kelly Wont. Uh,
1: Sarah Palin <laughs> – you see, you had me till <laughs> <was laughs> so you said syrup. Dingus, have you
3: thought? Another yeah, surprise? Eh, no, never mind. I was gonna. Yeah. I, I can only think of other disappointments. Whip it out, Dingus. I'm no. I can only think of other disappointments. All right. Well, Those do we have su- li- bad listeners bad. who submitted their favorite movies? Yes, we definitely do have listeners who submitted their other favorite movies. One of them would be a guy named Nick D. What well, do think we've referenced already in this movie? What's it stand for? Gotcha. Take that, Nick D. Little fun for you. What we gonna say, Diggus? It stands for Chuck D. He's the he's a lead rapper for Public Enemy, but he changed his name to Nick so he could do some like movie reviews and whatnot. So he's like, "Hi guys, here's my top ten list." But to save you some on air time, I only wrote up some thoughts about my number one pick. So his number ten is Avengers: Infinity War, Part One. Uh, number nine, The Land of Steady Habits. Huh, I
1: like that. I don't know what it
3: is. I've never heard of that. And a steady habit. Uh, number eight, Mission Impossible Fallout, another one that almost Ah. made my list. I loved that movie. Um, number seven, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs.
1: Woo! Scruggs, wait, say it again.
3: The Ballad of Buster Scruggs. Okay, correct, yes. Thank you. Uh number six, Black Panther. Ah. Number five, the death of Stalin. Ooh, number four, hereditary. Ah. Number three Roma. Hey, why you doing this to me? <laughs> <laughs> number two, eighth grade. And ah. Number one widows. Really? Huh? So Nick D has to say this. Windows is one of the best and most exciting films I saw all year in what appears to be on the surface to be a fairly standard heist movie. We get the themes of black oppression, female oppression, white anxiety about black power, black perspective on Uncle Tom's, and redlining. Black, white, red. Black, white, red. And all these themes are conveyed visually With confident direction, I usually think of Steve McQueen as an actor's director, so it's no surprise that there are great performances all around, even from those I didn't expect from, like from Michelle Rodriguez. But surprisingly, he delivered fantastic action set pieces as well. I loved it. Thanks for another great year, guys. Looking forward to 2019. Cheers, Nick.
0: Aw, that was a pleasant Piece of correspondence. Uh, Land of Steady Hands is the Nicole Holof Center movie, the chick who did Enough Said. Oh. Which I didn't get to see, so
1: I'm glad to hear you he liked it. I thought it was Habits, Land of Steady Habits. Uh, yes, what did I call it? Land of Steady Hands. You think about nope. masturbation as usual? Big <laughs> surprise. <express? laughs> Do that uh, over water, too. In the air.
3: Huh, that's interesting. Thank you. No, I'm talking... <laughs> You know. I might have seen landis habits yeah, actually
1: <laughs> you would re- remember seeing a movie with that title that's how I feel about face in the crowd though so
3: I, can relate. I don't know I just remember talking yeah. us talking about it but maybe I'm thinking it's about something she wrote anyway so then the next one is uh from Brian Becker. So Brian Becker says, hey, guys, my top, my two top movies of 2018 both have a love triangle involving Glenn from The Walking Dead.
1: God. Damn it. Oh, wait. I, I can't listen. Yeah, yeah. No, one of them's good.
3: No, I want to see Bernie. I, I don't know anything about it, but now I do. Oh, right. uh, Brian just gave me my second surprise movie of the year. Well done, Brian. Uh, so – uh Brian starts at number fourteen for some reason. I'm not going to do that, Brian, but I am going to say his number eleven uh, movie is Blockers, and that was one of my surprises for this year. I loved Blockers. Uh, I was oh, that was this year. That. Yeah. Uh, so Brian Becker's number ten is. Hey, wait, Pearl, one of right? them's got to be. Oh,
0: the, the Stephen Ewan one's got to be. Sorry to. Uh, uh, sorry to bother you,
3: Stephen Ewan. Is that right? Yeah. So uh, number ten is thoroughbreds. Not much to add to your discussion oh. besides I enjoyed the movie. Suggestion of isolation through the use of group activities done alone.
1: That was this year.
3: Chess. Yeah. So uh, poker, chen- poker, tennis, and chess. Um, I always tennis. am uh, because there there was a movie on my list where uh, uh, on. What's the movie? Jeez, I can't think of the movie now. Where, uh, where she says, uh, is it dangerous? Oh, it's Leave No Trace. Where she says, is it a is it dangerous to uh, put a to move a pawn in front of a king? And he says, not if you castle. Um, and my thought was along the lines of what Tom says. This is me talking now, not Brian. Of uh, what Tom says about like if a professor is giving a lecture about something. There's a reason for that. Uh, I think if a game is introduced in a movie, uh, particularly chess, but any game. <laughs> I'm thinking uh, of the game that uh, Kayla gave uh, Kennedy at her birthday
0: party. I'm thinking of <laughs> Hunger Games. <laughs> uh, yeah, game. It's really fun. Yeah,
3: yeah.
1: It's <laughs> like there's bonkers. Always, but... There's
3: always a reason for that particular game being chosen in general. All right, so uh, number nine for Brian Becker is Eighth Grade, a slice of lifer that per Put into sharp relief why all my dorky friends in high school dated really nice, quiet girls. Uh, Brian's number eight is the favorite. Uh, Brian's number seven is the Death of Stalin. Both my eight and seven are historical court intrigue dark comedies about powerful people saying naughty words. Well, the favorite is better directed and acted. I can't help but enjoy the Death of Stalin more because it's funnier and firmer in its message about power. The favorite has interesting things to say about relationships, but nothing with conviction. Uh, Brian Becker's number six is Blind Spotting. The movies we're getting at, we're getting out of Get Out really spiced up 2018. I didn't see Blind Spotting. Did you guys? Oh.
0: yeah, yeah Blind Spotting is a. I ta- so there's a, a the the uh when Lakeith Stanfield does the rap scene in uh, Sorry to Bother You using the N word. Uh, that that's the use of an N word in a movie that was very appropriate for social satire. It was a really biting uh, scene. The N word in Blind Spotting has the scene in the N word uh, has a lot of heart and it's a very personal scene. Uh, and, and it's it's a great example of how the two movies, which I like both of, are very different. They have a very different tone. They're both about Oakland, um, but the way both movies treat their examination of the N word is a, a perfect example of how they differ. Uh, but
1: yeah, I nigger shit, funny.
0: nigger shit, nigger, nigger, nigger shit. See Kelly, what I—that's—that's. That's, that's, I'm yeah. glad you said oh, it, not me. I don't subscribe to these
1: stupid rules, all right? I think it's a double. Well, the thing
0: is, like, it's so like I—it's weird that it's like catchy, and you feel bad that it's catchy, and it and it's that it, its so absurd that sequence in the best sense of satire. But um, yeah, the like as part as it is, catchy. <laughs> yeah,
1: thinking a rap right. Movie. I know. I know. Well, exactly. He's a good rap. He's really good.
0: And and Butch Riley was a musician. I mean, he knows that. He yeah. knows what he's doing when he tells Keith Stanfield to do that. So yeah. yeah. But anyway, Blind Spotting, I, I quite liked. There's a lot of uh, there's a lot of heart in that movie. Uh, I love i love him go ahead what were you saying and just the two guys who got to make it i was just so happy for them because two friends who'd uh, grown up together worked on the script together for a long time they got to make oh, this yeah. movie and they got to play the two leads in it and they're they're uh they're just lovely together
1: i would listen to that rap doing the dance from the favorite
3: i love lakeith stanfield so much uh and when i watched uh Izzy uh, gets the fuck across town. I was and I saw his name show up. I was like, oh great, he's in
0: this. haha ha, you watched Izzy gets the fuck across town. haha uh, <laughs> I actually really
1: like. It. Um, oh, no. Tom doesn't like it. Tom I I am it.
0: fascinated by it. That's another movie I've seen. But uh, well, we'll we'll talk about yeah. that during most uh, f- uh, favorite little thingies. Yeah.
3: Okay. Yeah. Me too. Okay. Oh, Tom. All right. So anyway, uh, Brian. I don't Becker's... trust Tom on comedies. Brian <laughs> <no likes. laughs> Test him on horror and nothing but, else. <laughs> Brian Becker's number five movie is *Angels Wear White*. Uh. Director Vivian Ku, a Chinese social drama. Ugh. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
1: What? No way. <laughs> sounds worse than I *Roma*
3: know. already. *Parasite* the,
1: went downhill. Part two. Go
3: about on. the aftermath of two middle schoolers' sexual assault by a powerful local official in a seaside town. Ew. It'd still be fun. And the movie covers. Depends on what character you are. Honestly. What? Jesus. Jesus. I'm oh my can... God. Your white eighth grade is a horror movie. Look, <laughs> the movie covers a lot of ground, but mainly focuses on one of the victims and a young hotel employee who has information on the crime. Won't say more, but would highly recommend. I haven't even heard of it. Thanks. Still Brian.
1: going through puberty,
3: so Brian's number Especially four movie is "If Beale Street Could Talk." Oh, such a cool title! Barry Jenkins brings the lyrical style of Moonlight to the more straightforward narrative of James Bal- James Baldwin's novel. Sorry, each scene is loaded with meaning and universality, while still telling a very personal story reflecting the introductory text by Baldwin. That there is a Beale Street in every city in America, the movie subtly adds to that by showing that the Beale Street of the '60s is not so much different than the Beale Street of today. Side note: I keep mistaking side characters as being Dave Franco. <laughs> so does I, he? I haven't even heard of Beale Street.
1: I don't think. No, I haven't either. This is why these lists are fun. I wish I I should I should have read these before I made my list. Is that cheating? I thought it was cheating. Yeah, so I didn't...
3: That is cheating. This is seeing a movie. (laughs) Ryan Becker's number three is Roma. (laughs) Ah! (laughs) Ha ha, you guys. Uh, Alfonso Cuaron's gorgeous reflection of Mexico in the early 1970s through the very turbulent year of a a housemaid for a middle-class family in Mexico City, capturing both her near invisibleness within the family along her indispensability to them. The movie says a great deal about our relationships and how we treat people from different social classes. Um, Yalitza Arpaccio uh, – I'm sorry, Arpaccio. It sounds like Carpaccio. Yalitza Aparicio is wonderful in this, though God knows what types of role Hollywood would offer. Yeah, she, you know, I didn't say this when we were talking about it. This is me talking now. Uh, Yalitza Aparicio is – is amazing in this movie and it's basically the only thing she has done i looked up her credits and it was it was this and the jimmy kimmel show that was basically all she's done and she's amazing in this movie so i'm really glad that that brian becker reminded reminded me to to talk about this because um Elitia is amazing in this movie uh and he makes a really good point um and he's right about what roles Hollywood would offer. Uh, Bro- also, it's the best uh, – I'm not going to say that. Uh, sorry, Brian. I'm not going to give that away. I already sort of uh, hinted at it in my best miscellaneous thingy or image that I talked about with the Yeah, movie. now we know there's curtain rods in it. Thanks, guys. Yeah, there's a curtain rod in it. But I'm not going to say the other thing because – that date- I'm not going to say what Brian says because that's a real surprise. And it's a really interesting – way that the movie goes with it, um, I, th- I thought it was fascinating. Uh, uh, be warned, says Brian, this movie is a very slow burn, and for some Ugh. reason, a <laughs> bunch of reasons of it wanted to jump straight into the second half. I was fortunate enough to go in blind. Brian, I am totally with you. Well done. Kelly uh, one, do you think my maybe- favorite
1: Mexican city by the way
3: what <laughs> Kelly won what? I wonder, if. Could, could, do
0: you think we could get away with just, like, watching it on fast-forward?
1: I watched uh, just, the poster for it on on Netflix and felt like I'd watched it, like the <laughs> Hugging on the Beach. I'm like, all right. I'll just assume that's where it ends and everyone's fine. Because if I'm
0: it's if it's away. subtitles, if you can read fast enough, you can run it at double speed, right? Like, and then you could watch it in, instead of three and a half hours, you could watch it in one hour and 45 minutes.
3: It's two hours and 15 minutes. <laughs>
0: just
1: dub
0: Uh, it but is it's a slow burn so that means three and a half hours oh
3: that's right
1: dub it but put thought balloons and like speaking balloons the subtitles
3: add 10 pounds um and ryan becker's number one is sorry to bother you
1: Aw.
3: oh my favorite movie is a goofy little political satire that says more about this country in the time period than 99.99 of hollywood prestige releases the director boots riley is a social activist and hip-hop artist who happens to be able to write a hilarious screenplay and shoot it with verb and style. I don't agree with every decision he makes, but I don't feel like I could change his choices, as I'd rather see him take chances more than experienced filmmakers would have ever drawn. This movie is hung around Lakeith Stanfield taking a job at a telemarketing firm, uh, but it's about race, income, quality art, and labor and unions. The comedy stylings are all over the place, but at certain points the satire is razor sharp, which I think you got you two said. You talked about Jonathan Swift, right? Yeah. Uh Brian Becker didn't pick Burning as one of his movies? No.
0: I thought he said okay. Huh.
3: I was confused by his thing about Stephen Yoon being in a, a love triangle. All right. Oh wait, no, he a side note, Stephen Yoon, who is perfectly adequate in this movie as the labor activist is amazing in burning as oh. the la, la 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 i'm not listening la 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 right. <laughs> sorry uh and our uh our final writer in her is because i want to see guy. burning that's why i, I did that all now, right so, that's yeah. fine uh our final writer in her is a dude named chris markinson i ah. think we all know who that is um here's my top 10 for 2018 are they I'm all the adam
0: egoyan or- movies
3: they're all Adam McGowan movies. Because Adam McGowan is Canadian. I don't know if folks know that. All right, What's sorry. all that, about? <laughs> and and uh, Michael J. Foxman. Uh, number 10, Isle of Dogs. Ha ah. uh-huh. You guys. Yeah. Last year, Blade Runner 2019. 2019. Uh, 2019. Sorry. 2049. Shut up. It was so prescient. <laughs> <laughs> That's Vegas for you. Orange. <laughs> Last year, Blade Runner 2049. Frank Herbert's list. But I really like the fact that it seemed to me like it was a movie that was made with a vision that wasn't compromised. I feel the same about Isle of Dogs. It is visually perfect. Even the sneezing by the dogs is perfect. This This is Wes Anderson making the movie he wants with the talented... With the talent that he wants, and everything is done perfectly. I still think it would have hit me more emotionally if I was a pet owner or had a pet as a kid. Aw, oh, why not? Not if you did that. I uh, didn't either. But my but brother I really did. I you know, it, when I was a kid, we, we had a dog, and I told you this before. We had a dog. He was an, a, a dopey Irish setter named Schooner, and he actually. <laughs> dopey. It, he, he was tired. for a dog. You mean he was dopey? He was no, dumb, I mean, for a dog. I mean, there's there's an actual Gary Larson Far Side cartoon where, oh, like, uh... the many moods of the Irish Setter, and they're all the same face, and it, but different moods. Uh, and uh, and our Irish Setter ate his way through the garage wall into the house.
1: Oh, that's awesome.
3: Uh, he was a, he was a kind of a he was kind of a digger. Not... That's loyalty for you. But but then when my brother came along 20 years later, my dad was like, yeah, we're not having any pets. Um, so uh, Chris Markinson's number nine is The Sisters Brothers. I wasn't sure if this was going to make my list. I watched it again after sending an email to Kelly Wand, and there are two yeah. moments that really make it for me. The first is John C. Riley. Role-playing with the woman in the room at the saloon. The woman—that's Allison Tolman
0: Markinson. She has a Come name. Come on, watch Fargo. Yeah.
3: Uh, Drag her to hell. The second part.
0: Which, what? Oh, my...
3: <laughs> did you think Allison
0: Loman? Wait, who were you? Who did you think we were talking about? Who's the girl? Yeah. Drag her to hell.
3: <laughs> wow. You're gonna have quite a surprise. She's gonna let <laughs>
1: herself go. <laughs> oh, Kelly what gotcha. you're so mean. What?
3: The second Come part. On.
1: Nigga
0: shit, nigga shit. Oh, sorry, I... Kelly Wand, oh my god. Oh, you can't sing that just because Boots Riley wrote it.
1: You know? What? Oh, I'm white. You're going to
0: be fired a, from a job 10 years from now, I'm just telling you. <laughs> Kelly Wand, there goes your Supreme Court uh,
3: there
1: justice goes appointment.
3: Yeah. <laughs> the second part. Well, by
1: then, I think Wolf swung back to everybody saying it. Like, All right, that was dumb. Fuck that.
3: Uh, right. Chris it says, the second part, which is my favorite, F-A-V-O-U-R-I-T, Canadian of spelling, of yeah. the Sisters Brothers, is the in, of the entire movie is when John C. Reilly asks Joaquin Phoenix how long he has been thinking yeah. about telling a certain person, yeah. and you see Phoenix look away and well, no, look back it... up. Sorry, go ahead read it. No, yeah. Sorry. And then look back up with a sheepish smile, like a kid was caught with his hand in the
0: cookie jar. For yeah. How long go. have you been planning yeah. to take his his place? Like that was the whole thing. Yeah. Is it, it wasn't like because it, it, you you've brothers. also thought of of Joaquin Phoenix the whole time as someone who's not concerned about the future, who right. hasn't really given it any thought. And that's where because he probably maybe like learned that from his brother, like that sort of practical thinking about the future. And yeah, that look that he gives him and that John C Reilly knows. Yeah, for others. Right, I, I feel love like that I part. lose
1: to those characters on Battlefield Five like all the time.
3: Like they're just like, like and it's 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 funny that address. he's already he's already brought up a, a a different Blade Runner, but what but the my favorite credit this year, this <laughs> right. is with the participation of Rutger Howard. because <laughs> he participates all right. <laughs> it's as if, hey, can you just help us with this real quick? <laughs> yeah so I love that they that the actual wording is with the participation of uh so an uh, idea, Chris Markinson's number eight is a movie called Tully which sadly uh. Chris suggested I see this and I didn't have time to see it sorry about it that it might guys. not be I for
1: you I by accident
3: uh... <laughs> overrated this is Jason Reitman right
0: um shoot, I don't know. I know, got, I got I know Diablo with, Cody yeah. wrote it, but I think I think it is Jason Reitman, that sounds right. Yeah, I got annoyed with him in the dog in a bag movie. Uh which was Dog in a Bag <laughs> adult or no, young adult. Yeah, um yeah, adult, yeah. it's uh, not Jason Reitman though. It's not Jason Reitman though, so much as it's Diablo Cody and uh Shirley Theron and Mackenzie Davis doing uh, Diablo uh, Cody I think Jason uh, Reitman you don't you don't really see any traces of him in this movie They're, the uh, Diablo Cody and the Shirley Theron is so strong in this movie that you you shouldn't apply young adult to it at all
3: yeah okay all right well I, I was I, I mean i i will i'll listen to recommendations from people I trust, like you know Chris and you guys, um, and a few other people, but I just didn't have time. so, uh, so Marketson, Markinson, real quick,
0: Marketson sort of reservedly mentioned Tully to me, like it's something that I, I might like, and he got in trouble with me, because I really liked Tully a lot, and I was like, why would you not be certain that I would really be into this? So Markinson lost he, points by not
3: recommending it to me strongly enough.
0: But Fuck he also you,
3: said that you guys disagree on a particular point in the movie, and he wanted to talk to me about that particular point. So I'm looking oh. forward to watching Tully and figuring out what that point. I is. see. He's trying to gather allies for the coming yeah. war. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah,
1: uh, he wants the dwarves the, and the elves over here. The uh, Tully
3: is coming. CG over there. Uh, when Tully. I first, uh, so this is Chris again. When I first saw this movie, I liked it, but I, but really didn't like the ending, I kept thinking it was a female Tyler Durden. No, Markinson send Markinson yes. to his room, erases
1: emails, I'll bleep that out. Oh, right, Thank you. I don't know what it means. Airfort's <laughs> fine.
3: I, was I barely was listening. Uh, I'm still not a big fan of the ending, but a couple more viewings has moved this onto my list, and I'm I've bit by bit become an evangelist for it with a few moms that I work with. Hmm.
1: when i was visiting <laughs> with you wait, tom
3: wait, okay. i don't know I, I, he's apparently uh, working with moms yeah working talking with mom. about telly okay uh when i was visiting with you tom and alexandra i disagreed with tom over the, over something uh over the i'm not gonna say because i'm not gonna read that uh i said he was useless and it got me really angry that Tom didn't see it all. What's your feeling on that thing? Is I haven't seen it, yet, Chris, so I can't tell you. It's not. It's
0: not a, a big spoiler. So uh, there's a character who plays her husband, who is Ron Livingston, who's a lot of fun. Uh, and we disagreed on whether or not Ron Livingston was a good husband. It was like a dumb, like, hey, is this character like good or not good? Like, it's, how, do you like this character? Or do you do not like this character. And
1: Markinson kind of didn't like him, but I liked did. the boyfriend's qualities as Bradley
3: Cooper and Trek. <laughs> So that's the kind of
1: boyfriend you can expect.
3: Ron Livingston. What's your favorite Ron Livingston? You want me to be a drinking buddy? I fucked her in the ass. Uh, Yeah, I fucked her in the ass too. I didn't really. I didn't really. Uh... I love that. Uh, uh, Chris's number seven is Hereditary. Have you guys seen that? I saw only the ending. Uh, It always shocks me when I have horror movies on my list considering the fact that I am most definitely not a horror guy, unlike the three (laughs) of us. I mean, we all – you guys, we three know horror. Uh, That's a Canadian
1: thing to say. They they like things. They'll just uh, – good and bad.
3: (laughs) Yeah, for them, horror is Top Gun. Um, So Chris (laughs) says, this was a pretty intense movie at times, and there was at least twice – where I pulled down the bill of my cap to obscure my view of the screen. Wow. The car scene was absolutely horrific. Yeah, you're right. Uh, Chris's number six is a movie called Eighth Grade. Ugh. Gucci. What a, what a great movie. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Gucci. <laughs>
3: <laughs> a couple oh. hilarious, touching, hit everything just right. I think it was great writing, and what a great performance from Elsie Fisher! I love the scene where she looks in her clothes closet and then sits down in her bed and says, "Oh fuck." Yeah,
0: that's good. And
3: that's what got him an R rating. Nice work, eighth grade. Yeah, thanks, eighth grade. (laughs) Uh, Chris is number five. A Quiet Place.
2: Oh, Bird (laughs) (laughs) Box.
0: Weaker. <laughs> wow, Kelly Wand. You're wow. right. Sight, smell, and sound. Yeah. Now we just need a, a touch and, to uh, and, the and a taste. The wife and
1: his lover. <laughs> There's What's a taste,
0: the... right?
3: What's the touch yeah. one, Kelly Wand? Um, touch. <laughs> What's the movie where that you told me about, Tom, where people are c- losing their senses?
0: Oh, what is that? It might even be called something like that. Senseless or something like that. <laughs> senseless. It's with uh, Ewan McGregor and Eva Green. It's horrible. Um,
3: Yeah, just see Blindness instead. All right. So, uh, Quiet Place, this is one of those movies I was tired after I watched it, but also super stoked after watching it. I remember walking out of the theater and sending you and Tom a a PM about it. I really feel like this is a horror movie for people who aren't fans of horror movies. My one disappointment with this movie is when I bought the Blu-ray, it didn't have a version of the movie without music. Minus, of course, the part where they are listening to Harvest Moon on an iPod. Uh, Chris is number four. Leave No Trace. Uh, Tom someone rec- had told me about this damn thing. Tom damn recommended it. this movie to me. Ha ha. Tom recommended it to Chris. Yeah. Uh, and I, I see who saying, the real friends are. Okay. I'm very glad. I actually uh, have a, uh, a new friend who is related to the director. And that's the reason I watched it and uh and then i realized that tom had talked about it months and months ago i think um
0: that was just before or after you thought it was directed by uh kelly
3: reichardt uh it was during
1: <laughs> <laughs> tom uh, recommended to me it left no trace in my memory
3: <laughs> oh it's actually fun. changed it was the 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 novel was called something else um I can't quite remember what the novel was called, but it was not called Leave No Trace. Ocean
1: Master. <laughs>
3: <laughs> sounds like a Sydney Sheldon one. It was called something like uh, the um the abandoned or something like that. Oh, that sounds right. Isn't yeah, great... I do
0: I do recall seeing that credit. That sounds right. Yeah. Uh
3: the So I don't know why it was changed in leave no trace but whatever so uh, leave no trace Uh, my
0: abandonment i just looked it up it was called the novel was my abandonment yeah
3: oh my abandonment okay sounds like a dickens chapter title maybe that's a little too on the nose um leave no trace tom recommended this movie to me and i'm very glad that i made this the time to watch it i wish it would have done better at the box office because i think people would have missed out on a great performance by ben foster yeah,
1: saying it. Ben Buster
3: and Thomason McKenzie. And what's Thomason McKenzie? Harcourt? Is that her middle name? Thomas? Harcourt. <laughs> Thomason
0: Harcourt McKenzie, right? I yeah, Leonard so Malton, if you're listening, it's Thomason Harcourt McKenzie, you tool. Okay, there. Just
1: remember, it's the same initials as Light Machine Gun.
3: What's the other movie where the, where the female protagonist is named Tom? Uh, the Witch. The Witch, thank you. And you, Taylor yeah. Joy, yeah. Uh, I thought it was also a powerful statement on trauma and what can, it can do to a person. Uh, number three, sorry to. Kelly Bob, Wand, hold on, real quick. Kelly Wand, let's try this again. You're going
0: to say it should cook a mushroom in your Ben Foster voice after I ask you the question. You ready, Kelly Wand? Here we go. Oh, yeah. take, take two. Will it cook a mushroom? It should cook a mushroom. <laughs> no! Oh my god, the cast is. <laughs> Ryan Gosling was casted Leave No Trace. Oh Sorry, no. He grabbed the headphones away from me. He's really upset. <laughs> he also became a, a leprechaun for a second. Well, that's because he was yeah, prancing know. around in the woods after he grabbed yeah, the headphones. Just, right? He's still in his Aquaman. <laughs>
2: Austin
0: <laughs> <stamp> from last. <laughs> uh, Ryan Gosling got me. Nice work, Ryan Gosling. All right, Kelly. What's what's uh, Dingus? What's Markinson's number uh, three? Should cook a mushroom screw
1: <laughs> torpedo in the water. <laughs>
3: okay, what? Markinson's number Thomason. three. Thomson. Thomason. Thomason. Is, uh, uh, sorry to bother you. Ah, uh, uh, <laughs> the Canadian pronunciation.
1: Canadian. Uh, uh, Markinson Dingus you. is
0: being mean. <laughs> I think that's
1: cute. I love the Canadian accent. We to... sound stupid. What?
3: <laughs> I'd rather read this in Tom's New Zealand voice. I had... <laughs> knew Clay was Damn in <laughs> uh, about <laughs> I... The baby! The <laughs> baby! <laughs> <laughs> sorry, what? Sorry, Mark. It's so... So, uh, sorry to bother you. I no clue what <laughs> this is, a boot. And I'm about, I'm about watching it and thinking, okay, this is pretty standard. And then the voices start. Holy crap! I started smiling. This, this is how Canadians curse. Holy crap. Yeah, uh, I started smiling. Holy and I crap, they eh? stop till the end of the movie. What a weird movie that really worked for me. some biting social satire mixed with the right amount of humor made this such a pleasure to watch. Uh, I never
0: recognized voices That's Stingus's bag, but I was kind of bummed that I recognized that it was Patton Oswald.
1: And David Cross, did you recognize him? the but David Cross I, I didn't get, which is David great. David
3: Cross immediately, I did not recognize. Yeah, Pat. yeah, He's the really Patton Oswalt I guys. Yeah.
1: yeah, which is yeah. weird
3: because I because uh, I was like, actually in a, in a class with him at one point, uh, so I shouldn't have I was in a round
1: that. table with him at Shrek, and he was a really hard person to make laugh.
3: And he ate a lot of cookies. He was depressed. <laughs> what? Let's go. Uh, Chris Markinson's number two movie is Thoroughbreds. Oh. <sighs> fucking rules nay <laughs> that would have been on mine <laughs> all my Anya Taylor Joys are in my top tens she's always uh, I loved the dialogue in this movie I laughed a lot during this movie and it also made me a little sad as it was one of the last appearances of Anton Yelchin
1: yeah.
3: oh yeah way to bring the room down Marcus, and I forgot about
1: that and he gets Seriously. really screwed in the movie just he's kind of like uh,
0: it's no green room
1: yeah yeah, that's true. It could be worse, Kelly Wand. Yeah. He kind of gets Paul down out. <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm still interested, but look who you're getting Paul Dano'd by. Hey, <laughs> <Huh. laughs> okay, what? Let's go. Uh,
0: Remember Chris, how hideous she was in Ready Player One when she had that birthmark? Oh, my God. I could barely look. That yeah. was... uh, who would ever vomit be it. attracted to
3: her? Yeah, Oh, yeah, that's horrible. That thing. That's what my vomit repulsive. looked like.
1: Yeah. Oh. So gross. Uh,
3: so Chris says, Spielberg
1: for Trump why was that rated R for the birthmark?
3: <laughs>
1: Stupid ratings
3: board. Uh, Chris on Thoroughbred says I think one of the reasons why it's so high up on my list is because of the fact that it was paired with an opsis that was spot on perfect.
1: Aww. Kelly, He wants- likes the ones that I don't even remember. He really likes the under-the-skin one. I don't remember anything. Oh, Speaking my God. Which, yeah.
0: How can you not remember that one? Even yeah, I remember that you one. I remember that, yeah. The thoroughbreds they, one? They high-five each other. Oh,
1: yeah. That's kind of good. Under-the-skin. Yeah. The skin. <laughs> yeah. And he swims away fast. <laughs> I remember
0: that now. Uh, <laughs> All right, I think it's what were markets is one and two? Do you like
3: Upstream like, color-ups? I don't remember I that I think one. my favorite is probably Prometheus, though, the, the try-harder thing. I just can't get over. Dude, that really happened, in that movie. <laughs> Your way
1: doesn't make sense. Batman's dead, and a, pet, a microwaved head told him to try harder when
3: they microwaved him. He micro, microwaved so, harder. Chris's number one is a movie called The oh. Death of Stalin. God Mm -hmm. damn it. fucking.
1: Yeah, Kelly wan apparently didn't like it. it.
0: Yeah, you didn't like it that much to put it on your list. You know what's funny?
1: I even remembered it, and then I go, no, no, that was last year, and I didn't even look it up. So that's how stupid I am. That's why I hate these fucking podcasts. God! (laughs) This This happens every fucking year. There's something really obvious. This movie.
3: It happens all the time. Death of Stalin, this is me talking right now, probably is my favorite GIF of the year. Because Chris Markinson is known for really, he's really good at making GIFs. And there's this great moment where, uh, what's his name? It's not Jason Clark. What's uh, Jason? Uh, Robards. No, it's not ja- Jason Robards, honestly. Connor. <laughs> Fleming, Jason Fleming. Uh, is that his name, really? Seriously? Well, who? Mm-hmm. I don't know who you're talking Excuse about. Me. I don't know who you're talking about. He's the man now, dog. Jason...
0: Born. Jason Bourne.
1: Bateman? Yeah, Jason, Jason Bateman. Who are you thinking 40s. of? Nobody knows
0: who you're thinking of, Diggs. I don't Argonaut. either. That's the problem. Never Jason... mind. Olga Karolinko? Because her first name isn't Jason.
3: <laughs> Jason... Is he thinking oh, of Jeffrey fun. Tambor? The guy from Blackhawk Down. I can't remember his name. Forget it. The guy from Bla- Jason Isaacs. Jason Hartnett. Oh, Jason, Isaacs. You, Jason, no, Jason Isaacs. No, Jason Isaacs.
0: He was right. Kelly Wan. Uh, we were. Yeah, he got. Yeah.
3: Really? Uh, I just love. that There's this great moment where where it, 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 he gets his like overcoat and his and his medals like all flapped down. It's a great gif. Anyway, so uh, Chris Burkett's number one is Death of Stalin. This was like Logan and Atomic Blonde. When I was watching it, I knew this was going to be at or near the top of my list. I wasn't wrong. I don't think there was a movie that matched the humor and horror so well. The way that people are disposed of and the lunacy of actions of the major players as they all vie for power was something that really got me. I think I've watched this six or seven times. And, of course, the Opsis is absolutely top-notch and has the has an for appearance Stalin? of – yeah of the goss huh. man
1: he's oh yeah yeah now i remember boy you have to do it there's too many of them we gotta stop doing <laughs> all right so Would, uh do i have to stop doing them are you well you know it's like a closed set it's like i do album. i do
3: love like when they're running through the trees and he's like you can plot while you're doing this i love like <laughs> oh, that's good
0: that. All right, so to close things out, our favorite, Dingus, how do you describe – what is this entry again? I just call it Best Miscellaneous Thingy. Best Miscellaneous Thingy. So, Dingus, why on earth did you watch Izzy Gets the Fuck Across Town? Is it because it's your Best Miscellaneous Thingy from
3: that? It is, but I don't know if you can choose something from a movie that isn't on your list. But Yeah, you can. What are you talking about? It's a way to call out movies that aren't on your list. Yeah, Dingus. I actually really liked – Iggy. Oh, uh, you're one of those. Are you serious? I <laughs> okay. really liked it. Uh, I didn't like it at first because it felt too... I think O.J. was framed in this. So it felt it like didn't... it was trying too hard. It felt like the uh, filmmaker uh, I'll was... I'll say. <laughs> you can say that again. <laughs> Tell me about it. I mean, uh,
1: whatever he says correctly.
3: It felt like Christian Paperniak, uh was trying too hard. Um, to be movie try know. harder, try less hard <laughs> um because he's doing this weird split screeny thing and and it just it's it just it feels like it, it feels like somebody's just trying to make a movie uh rather than trying to tell a story uh but then the movie kind of eases into itself, and um I kind of liked that. I like the way Mackenzie Davis then carries the movie, and the way the movie segments itself. But my my favorite moment in the movie is is this is this song that's uh, called the uh, called Axemen, um that uh, Mackenzie Davis and um, uh, what's her name uh, Carrie uh, Coon Carrie Coon thank you Carrie Coon sing together because uh, it is unbelievably beautiful uh unbelievably well done uh i'm i'm nuts about the way that they work together uh the way they harmonize um it's i think it's just i think it's just a beautiful beautiful song um and it's the i for me it's the climax of the movie the problem with the movie for me is that again i think the movie ends at the wrong point. I think I think the movie is already over by the time the movie ends. Um, but that's maybe that's just me. Uh, I don't know. I I I I just really love I love that song.
0: So that yeah, that's my my favorite miscellaneous thing. I've talked about it before on the podcast. <laughs> uh, it's not even the song. I wouldn't call it the song. The song is great, by the way, and the song. Uh, Christian Papernik uses the song, the actual, so the song is, uh, there, there's, a, there's a group called Slater-Kinney, which was sort of a, a female version of grunge rock, um, and before Slater-Kinney was slater Kenny uh the the woman in it, um shoot corinne not hunter uh, tucker corinne tucker uh was in a band called heavens to betsy and her voice is super distinctive uh the kind of song she writes is super distinctive so Axman sounds very much like a slater kenny song uh and it's very much rooted in that 90s grunge rock kind of stuff um and i love the song and it's super appropriate for that moment but what's What's powerful about that moment to me, and my favorite miscellaneous thingy, is when Carrie Kuhn and Mackenzie Davis make eye contact because the yeah. song is about the, the movie. So I, dig I think the movie's. I love Mackenzie Davis in it, and I'm fascinated by the movie because I think the stuff that this fella has written for her is is just super. Pretentious and self aware and, and overly hip, and you know, very movie structured, as, as you mentioned. Uh, I, I like all of the actors in it, by the way, and there's some actors in it I've never seen before who I, I yeah. really liked. But I think I don't like the guy's writing, I don't think the ending is earned at all. But the movie is built around this song as a turning point where Izzy finally gets to her sister, Virginia, and they are pressured into performing a song together and you have found out over the course of the movie, it doles out its information uh, very parsimoniously, uh, that they were in a band together <laughs> and uh, there's been some sort of tension or break between them since then. They're kind of like estranged as sisters and they get thrown into performing this song real quick by Rob Hubel, is so adorable as her oh. sort of un, unwitting husband. He doesn't know what's going on and he just means so well and he tells them, you know, do the, do the song. Come on, just do the song and they reluctantly agree and they start singing the song and dingus like you mentioned they definitely are harmonizing and it sounds great uh axe man just as a as a heavens to betsy song with just uh, Uh, Corinne Tucker singing to me now sounds tinny because when you hear Carrie Coon and Mackenzie Davis start harmonizing, it's so lovely and it gives the song so much more uh, voice. So they're singing it and they're they're physically like you can hear them harmonizing and they sound great together. Um, And over the course of the song, the running length of the song and to his credit, the director lets the whole song play. And the camera never leaves one or the other of them. It can't be a full shot of them. Because I don't think either of the actresses is actually playing the guitar, um, which you would never know just by the tight framing that they do. They're both super committed to what they're doing. Um, but over the course of the song, their relationship repairs. It is two, yep. it, it is a character arc in the course of two people singing a song. And it is every bit, and I think I mentioned it in this context, uh, it is, I think, even more compelling than the really great duet bit in A Star is Born, where you see why Bradley Cooper is into... Uh, Lady Gaga I don't even remember Lady Gaga's real name. Uh Stephanie Clifford. No, that's, that's someone no. else. Uh, um, what is her not. real name? Uh, Watson. I shoot again at any rate uh, uh, it reminded me of that there's that duet in star is born where you finally understand like w- what he sees in her so it's even clever <laughs> shut up it's it's even more electric than that and i, I just love the relationship between them so yeah. my favorite little thingy is when carrie coon finally decides to make eye contact with is it with, with Mackenzie davis and how over the course of what they're singing their relationship as sisters restores itself, and how it's painful to Carrie Kuhn to remember that. And none of this is with dialogue, by the way. None of this is with dialogue. It's while they're singing. It's how the two actresses look at each other. It's how Christian Papierniak cuts between the two of them. Um, but over the course of that, you see how painful this is for Virginia, and therefore why she's as cold as she is. Um, right. why, how painful it is for her to let go of what they've been doing. So, yeah, my favorite little thing is them making eye contact during that song.
3: Well, I got really annoyed with uh, the way Izzy reacts when Virginia calls, uh, I forget what Rob Hubel's character's name is in the room. Bennett. Emmett, <laughs> and says, this is what she's going to tell you. Yeah. A- and and Izzy's like,
2: uh, 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 uh
0: why'd you get annoyed? Because she doesn't want to hurt him because she really likes him. She realizes I that,
3: yeah. but, but, but her quarrels with her sister, but at that moment it just doesn't feel real but oh it, dingus oh, I'm it so going to go to the mat this, with you well, on this uh, well that's fine <laughs> I, it doesn't feel real to me because of what she's driving toward what, what Izzy is actually driving toward and her problem with her sister anyway um but uh so that didn't feel real to me but but it feeds into this moment so well it, it sets up that moment so well and I thought it was uh who is it Corin Tucker I thought it was uh Corinne Tucker, who wrote the song or something. Axe Man? Yeah.
0: Yeah, yeah, but she sings it in Heavens to Betsy, and Heavens to Betsy became Slater Kenny, who is, is more famous. And yeah, oh, it's definitely, I didn't know that. Yeah, and if you listen over the credits, at the very ending, and which is a long shot of Mackenzie Davis walking away, which normally I would like if the movie had actually earned it, uh, over the ending, the actual Heavens to Betsy song is playing, uh, and it sounds nothing like when Carrie Coon and Mackenzie Davis sing it.
3: Oh. Oh. Okay. Yeah.
0: So Heavens to Betsy, they, they get up there and say, hi, we're Kissy's Dickens, says, and yeah. this is a Heavens to Betsy song. Heavens to Betsy the name of the band. Kissy's Dickens was what their band was called when they would do it. It was a cover song that they did. Oh, your Dickens. Yeah.
3: I thought she was just doing so, sort of a, um, like, Gilmore Girls kind of, this is a Heavens to Betsy song. No, and no, no. Is Heavens cool. to Betsy's the
0: band, and they were called oh.
3: Kissy's Dickens. Yeah, and Heavens to All
0: Betsy right. became basically uh, Slater Kenny. Um
3: yeah, because because there's a lot and you're right about the dialogue. I mean, there's a lot of like it's a little too arch. I mean, there's a it it feels a little too written. Yeah. Like that that moment where she says, well, is that time travel or is that a monkey's paw? I mean, at that <laughs> particular moment, that's that's not what you would say. Right. I mean, that's not that's not a real thing. That's not a real moment of dialogue. Right. Uh, and there's a lot of that in this movie. And I think most of the stuff with Alia Shaka is is a Shaw cat sorry
0: no no i'm laughing because she's so cute in it like she's so weird in it i, I just she's love weird that. and yeah,
3: cute yeah. but they have this whole thing about fate and this whole joke about um you know well you don't believe yeah. in fate well well what about steven spielberg he he did exactly what he wanted to do and he got everything and and then is he's like uh but isn't he in the minority and she's like well he's jewish but i'm not being racist i mean it's 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 it has this kind of arch feel. He's an example of
2: fate.
3: He's a, well, they're, where they're talking about, they're having a discussion about. Kelly uh, one. We of want them, to one of them feels I, like you 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 make. You, uh, everybody I know doesn't get what they want, and the other one feels like, well, I think people do get what they what they go for, and here's an example of it: Steven Spielberg.
0: Kelly, wand Izzy gets the fuck across town. Is the play that you would have written after a girl broke up with you and you wanted to write a fantasy about getting back together with her when oh, you were so like five or like,
1: days of summer. Yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: Except oh, you're, you're you're basically God. a college freshman. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, Ew.
1: But Mackenzie so, Davis Ray like it, it's me with studio notes.
0: <laughs> uh, it's a showcase for Mackenzie Davis <laughs> though, and she produced it, and I think she has the right idea because it really does, uh, it really does show off. I mean, even. Regardless of how bad the material is, she's just so magnetic, and uh, yeah.
1: She's the material.
0: And oh my God, Carrie Coon! I just, I just, I can't get enough of Carrie Coon now. That I'm going to watch a Damon Lindelof uh, TV show.
1: You're never oh. going to watch it. You've just been saying
0: that. No, I, I started. What
1: else have we seen her in? Carrie mean, just... Coon.
0: She had makeup all over her face in Infinity War, and she was the 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 widow who didn't get to join the party in Widows. The was baby, the no, baby no, woman, no. as I think Kelly Juan called her oh, in the synopsis. Right
1: is yeah. she in jumanji
0: no she was in fargo she was in the last season of fargo that i didn't watch
1: hey lady gaga's name was ali campana stephanie oh i never would have known that are you said no how was she credited in the movie ali campana that was her character's name no
0: what's the what's the actual woman's name who who what's lady gaga's name the actual woman Lady
1: gaga no! Ellie Campana is her character. <laughs> no. What's the question? Was she credited
0: as Lady Gaga in A Star is Born? That can't be yeah. right.
1: What? Are you serious?
0: Yeah. Oh.
1: What do you think it was? Stephanie you thought Ellie Campana was Lady Gaga's <laughs> real
0: name? No, that's why I called you out on that. No.
1: Dave Chappelle's character's name was Noodle Stone. <laughs> Alright, you're making stuff up. Alright, so He's Kelly Wan. Well, Justice League.
0: We need to know what your favorite miscellaneous thingy was from 2018. And then. We need you to tell the listeners what movie we're seeing next week.
3: Uh, wait, I want to. I want to say one more miscellaneous mm-hmm. thing that I like. I'm going to sneak one in since you guys made me do two of the. One of, one of <laughs> right. Okay. To make up for it. Fair uh, enough. In Roma, there are two ducks mating at one weird moment, and it's just totally not acknowledged. Huh. So, okay. So sort of like
1: it uh, was like a fucking thermometer going into my asshole hope that didn't come out wrong. But thank you for sharing that. I really want to see Roman now. Two ducks mating. No one acknowledges it.
3: Yep, you're going to have to look for that. It's an Easter egg.
1: Get it? It's ducks. (laughs) Uh, So, Tom, I don't know if I can really rival that, but uh, mine...
3: uh,
1: (laughs) I think my favorite line in Aquaman was... (laughs) Where I come from, the sea wipes our tears away...
0: Hello.
1: Do really you remember the certain... response
0: to that line, though? No. Well, out here, we have to feel them.
3: Uh-huh. you remember that? Wow. <laughs> That's amazing that you remember that. That is so amazing. All right, I'm going to do another one Frogman. and you tell me what the response
1: was.
0: All right, we'll see if I can do it.
1: I'm a blunt instrument. Really Ocean Master! Out. Yeah, okay, good. <laughs> <don't> and finally... <laughs> <laughs> Beautiful lakes, they look like tiny oceans. Aw, <laughs> that's cute. Oh. Is that, oh. The answer was we could have peed on it. <laughs> okay, oh, <what? laughs>
0: <laughs> Kelly Wan, making people reappreciate Aquaman. Very nice. All right, you know, Kelly Wan, your favorite miscellaneous thingy. What do you got?
3: That was it. Oh, oh that
0: was <laughs> Well, in that case, Kelly Wan, what movie are we seeing next week?
1: I think it's the favorite. I can't remember anymore. It was All right, we'll do a Destroyer. We'll do a favorite podcast. We can do Destroyer
0: next week. Uh, and by Ooh. the way, isn't it about time for us to do our uh, Make Us Watch Whatever You Want fun driver? No, are we supposed to do that in the doldrums of January?
1: Thereabouts? Oh, yeah. yeah, that was Deathwish, wasn't so it? Stand no, by. it? was uh, Cold Monkey.
0: Right, well, we'll, month, we'll be announced we'll have month. announcements about that soon but in the meantime we're gonna watch the favorite which is the number four movie for Kelly Wand yeah Kelly Wan's fourth favorite movie we're gonna watch that and then do a podcast on it next week if you have also, seen or if you have seen or will see the favorite send your comments to four or to <laughs> 3x3 if you, on if you have thoughts 3x3 at quarter to 3.com by Sunday uh, January 30th Midnight Pacific, Kelly Wan, Write your thoughts down. What? Tell us about what three by three we have coming up.
1: Oh, different thoughts. Uh, but I'm really excited. It's really good. Gr- I have two thirds of it done myself, uh, and then i I think I I'm done. I can really But it's a really rich and fertile topic. Uh, it's three best soups in movies. So if you've seen movies with soup in them at all, ever, please send them, and I might read them before you send them, to 3x3 at dot 3com by midnight of,
0: um... Just in the next few
1: weeks. (laughs) Oh, Oh, sorry. (laughs) Yeah, the next few weeks, according to my calendar here? Yeah. Or the night of the 27th. Oh, Kelly one, you
0: got it exactly right. January 27th, midnight, your favorite soups. Uh, and we will see you next week for The Favorite. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Malkliski. It's Christian Moroski. And Kelly Wand. Nigga shit, nigga shit, nigga,
1: nigga, nigga shit. Do you want to live this teenage dream? The punk white privilege scene. Oh,
2: quarterback, I...
1: Uh, because I watched Waterworld, Netflix thinks I'd like Noah.
3: I'd prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Origai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct.
1: thing is, when people compose their favorite Dune characters list... They usually overlook someone and I wanna just for right now I wanna give a shout out to Shout Out <laughs>